You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he plants one. Way back. Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. It's the Friday version of A's Cast Live. How are you, A's fans and baseball fans? As we have another wonderful show for you. Dave Feldman's going to be here at 1.30, another top 10. Top 10 draft picks by the A's after the 10th round. Guys you don't expect to be great end up being really, really good. Those top 10s are always a lot of fun. It's for our green and gold history segment for A's cast. So Feldy will be here at 1.30. Our old friend Brad Ziegler. We're going to check in with him in Kansas City to see what he's been doing and talk about his historic start to his career with the athletics. And then what does he think about the negotiations going on between the players and the owners? So we'll talk to him at two o'clock. Friend of the program, one of the top baseball columnists in the country. We're going to get the lowdown. We're going to get the skinny. We're going to get the 411 from Bob Nightingale from the USA Today. Steve McCaddy. There was a deep dive about the rotation in the early 80s and the workload for the athletics and their starting staff and how it may have affected them. Does Steve McCaddy buy it? Plus, he works for the White Sox, so we'll get into a little bit of Central because if you look at the NL Central, it's going to be a wild ride. I mean, you're talking about the Twins and all the home runs and Josh Donaldson being added. Uh, Of course, we covered all these divisions. Uh, Cleveland thinks they're still going to be good. And then the sheet pick are the White Sox. So we'll talk to McCaddy uh, about a lot of those different things. And then we will have former general manager of the San Francisco Giants and really got to have a long conversation with him down in San Diego at the winter meetings. And we'll welcome back to the program former Giants executive Bobby Evans. So Feldman at 1.30, Ziegler at 2, Nightingale at 2.30, McCaddy at 3, and Evans at 3.30. Commander, how are you hanging in downtown? Uh, everything's well. Uh, can't really complain. Uh, the weather's actually not as hot as it was the last few days, so that's a plus. We're only down to like the 70s now, where it was like, what, in the high 90s the last few days. So can't really complain about the weather, and everything's great, and well, everything's great except for what is potentially going on in baseball, but or lack thereof. But other than that, life is great. Uh, Wine Wednesday was exciting. Uh, I don't really know what what's usually Thursday's Thirsty Thursday, but we're not college anymore, so it's not really Thirsty Thursday. I think we have to come up with a new uh, 
name for Thursday. I, I threw out tequila Thursday, but I don't. I didn't have a margarita, so I think we'll get. We'll eventually figure out a new one. Well, Thursday for me, I can tell you what it is. It's become bad golf day. So Thursday is the day that I, I've been busting out the sticks and playing golf, and it sometimes. It looks spectacular, but most of the time, it's horrific. I, 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 all these years of working so much, my game has deteriorated. But now that I have more time on my hands, as we're still as people, people ask me all the time. So, so what are you doing? I'm like, I'm in spring training mode. I'm doing the exact same thing we did all off season. We're still in the off season, so we're three days a week. So I got some time off, and uh, so I've been going out and sharpening my game. But I'm telling you, it's going to get back, Cody. My game will get back, and I got to get it back be- before I turn 50, and that is the goal. Uh, I want to show you, and then you can back this, is that I miss baseball so much. Look what I made for lunch. Is that a bratwurst? A hot no, dog? it's a hot dog. Well, either way, it's uh, – I made one of those the other day, a couple of those for lunch, I think, last week. It's it's a great – obviously, we love hot dogs with baseball games and just making them overall, but uh, that, good on you for for making those because hot dogs, easy to make, but people might sometimes feel like, uh, you know, a little too much uh, work turning on the barbecue, then have to worry about waiting to see them. Nope, that takes about five, ten minutes, and you're done. So I miss baseball so much, I made hot dogs for lunch. And we do miss it. And I hope these these people who are in charge of the game and the people who play the game continue to talk, continue to negotiate. Because we can we we can sit here and keep saying that baseball is the is the sport that's always been here for us. Through tragedies, through wars, world wars. Right now, everybody else is looking to uh, beat them as the sport that is the healer. NASCAR's running. June 11th, the PGA Tour starts. NBA. NBA is going to be back July 31st. 22 teams will report to Florida. 13 Western Conference teams and 9 Eastern Conference teams. Eight regular season seeding games as possible play in tournament for the eight seed and playoffs are at Walt Disney World Resort. It's so bad that Cody is wearing a Sacramento Kings shirt today because the Kings may be in this postseason play. They have a very long uh, playoff drought. It goes back to the mid-2000s and you know, I went to a game last year up at uh, Golden One Center. It's incredible. I went watched. Uh, I grew up as a big 76ers fan, obviously, because in Pennsylvania we didn't have a basketball team in Pittsburgh. So I loved growing up watching the Sixers. So I went and watched the Sixers and Kings play last year. Great atmosphere. I'm really pulling for the Kings to get that, that coveted ace spot in the West to play the – probably the – I don't know, because if you're the ace seed in the West, the way they're going to do I think, is seeding one through 16. So it wouldn't be the conventional Lakers versus the ace seed. It'd be – wherever you rank among the seeding versus whoever the top three or four teams in the in the whole NBA is. And uh, I like that the NBA is doing that. They're taking the whole seeding overall one through 16 for the playoffs, which is smart. See, it's it, it, but, but the reality is this. 
the NBA and the NHL have played pretty much their seasons. Like, how many games were left? Like, 12? Yeah, it wasn't many. They played, I mean, like we've heard, they played 75% of their seasons. There wasn't yeah, much so left. Yeah, so they don't have the same issues. So they can get it going, and the TV money is about the postseason. So that's why the NHL and the NBA are like, hey, we got to play our postseason. That's when the big bucks come in. And I don't want to pick on baseball, because as we talked about on Wednesday, the NFL is going to have this same problem. You know, Brad Ziegler, we, we taped it earlier today. He goes, hey, these other leagues are ta- telling these players to take a pay cut. He's correct. That's fact as of right now. But the NFL hasn't had to have that conversation yet. You know, once you tell the NFL owners there's no suites, there's no tickets, no parking, no, 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 no concessions. That's in the NFL. See, the NFL was smart. The owners got together and they made the league a national thing. And they share everything. So they share the TV money. They share all the money from the merchandise. What the NFL owners don't share is what you produce in market. That's why the Raiders always said, we need a new stadium. We need more suites. We need more seats. We need get, you know what I'm saying? That's where, that, that's where you, that's why the Dallas Cowboys make so much money. Cause they charge so much. They got a bazillion suites. You know, you can do local deals. So the NFL is going to have this exact same problem that baseball is having. Jeff Passan from ESPN went on Get Up this morning and had this to say of what's going on between the owners and the players. And Greeny, this has turned into a fetid stew of power, distrust, and ultimately money. Now, the power really is more about 2021 when the current collective bargaining agreement is up. The MLBPA wants to show no mercy on that after getting pushed around for years. The distrust is really built into baseball. It's a generational thing. That's not going to be fixed anytime soon. The real area where they can and should make progress is with the money. It's very simple. MLB is ready to implement a 48-game schedule, Greeny, and they say they're going to lose $640,000 per game this year. That comes out to about $461 million. The players would accept an 82-game schedule at full pro rata. That would be $787 million in losses, theoretically, for the league. We're talking about a $326 million problem, and when you take that and divide it by the 30 teams, this is a fight over $10.8 million per team. It's impossible to imagine that that would call off a baseball season. So I guess, Jeff, I'll ask you to look into a crystal ball. Will it at the 11th hour? Will these teams figure this out or are they headed towards a stalemate that means no baseball in 2020? Yeah, I think they're going to figure it out. And I think there's going to be baseball back on the field this season. It just depends on what it's going to look like. Remember, Major League Baseball has the option of unilaterally implementing a schedule. Rob Manfred can come and say, we're going to play 48 games this year, whether you guys like it or not, per the March agreement that they have. Now, the players can say, you're not going to have expanded playoffs. You're not going to have mic'd up players. You're not going to have any help 
from us with your business ventures going forward. But I would like to believe that there is a place in the middle that they can meet where they can get a representative schedule because 48 games just simply does not cut it. Coming up next, we'll talk about what he just had to say. And we have some great on this date in baseball histories for you. That's next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN. When I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to A's Cast Live. Dave Feldman's going to join us coming up here at 1.30. We're going to go over, of course, a top 10 list. Top 10 guys drafted for the A's after the 10th round. Only five rounds. And what I'm hearing, and trust me, I'm I'm never going to play draft guru. I never I never liked doing draft guru NFL stuff, and you actually know who those guys are. I got to tell you, on the way to the golf course yesterday, I'm listening to Sirius, Sirius XM channel 89 MLB Radio, Mike Farron. Jim Duquette, the Duke, Power Alley. I'm listening to him. And <laughs> I want to text Farron. They're literally breaking down these kids. And I'm like, wow. I mean, I listened, but I was like, wow. Nobody knows who Timmy Smith from Arkansas, Lafayette High School. No, no one knows who these guys are. Go on. But they're breaking it down. I can tell you, I'm not going to be that guy. I'll, I'll wait till after the draft to say, okay, let's find out the A's, who they take. We get Eric Kubota on and then try to find somebody who, who coached this kid and find out who he is. We'll do that after the draft, once we know the selections. But what I'm hearing is this. You're going to have certain high school players Say, eh, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to go to college. There's some prominent players who would be taken in the first round early who are going to go, you know, because the money, you know, right now, where we are, everybody's talking about money, and, yet, you know, it might just, hey, go to college, start getting my degree, and three years later, Hopefully, we're all back to normal, and then I'll go in the draft then. I, 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 I'm, I'm not going to say that's not a smart move. Get three, three years into your degree, because what happens with these guys is they'll sign in the first round, and they'll put in their contract that the team will pay for you to go to college. So in the offseason, you got, I mean, it happened with a bunch of guys I played with. Guys would come back from their minor league system. Always looking for a place to stay. You guys got a room open? And they get another semester in. And slowly but surely, after a couple of years, you got your degree. You got your money being the first-round pick. I mean, it, it is a risk in case you get hurt. But, hey, as we all know, we got risk all around us. You know, the thing about the owners claiming the, these numbers and what's hard for the players is that the owners don't open the books. 
So if you never show what you actually make and then you give me numbers, how do I know what those numbers are? That's where the distrust comes from. That's the problem. But I'll get back to this, and I loved it. I love what Passan had to say. Yes, I do think there will be baseball. I do too. And what I'll be positive about is the communications. The fact that they are talking faster than I've ever seen. And the fact that there's there's proposals, whether you like the proposal or not, it's just a negotiation. And we're still at the beginning of June. And I have a feeling here, maybe over the weekend or maybe sometime early next week, we get a deal done. Or, as they said, Manfred, because of the negotiations in March, could say, all right, that's it. We're playing X amount of games, and it starts July 4th. Players may be angry, but they signed this deal in March. They know they can't be this stupid to walk away from the game for 18 months and say, yep, we'll see you next year. And the reason why I say that is because you don't even know what the sport will look like if you do that. There, you, you will tick off an extreme amount of fans who may never come back. You're lucky you got them back after 94. But I don't know, man. I see stuff on Twitter. Like my man, Jason Cole, who uh, has been covering the NFL for years. Stanford grad. I saw him on Twitter saying, hey, if you don't play, you'll never get another dime of mine. And I, I bet, I bet there's thousands upon thousands who feel the exact same way. I just, it's just a reality. You can't have, you can't have all these other sports going and you're not going. That'll be like the, would you say buying or selling, Cody, it'd be worse than 94? Canceling the World Series. Because essentially, if you don't play, you're canceling the World Series anyway. You're you're canceling an entire season. The NHL, look at the NHL did this, Cody. And and the the NHL has never been the same. Uh, no, they haven't. Um, when that happened in, in the mid two thousands, it was a, it was kind of a blessing in disguise for for when I when I was growing up because the Penguins ended up getting Sidney Crosby. So I, I I look at that differently. But you're right about how the, they never got the fans back. And oh, you're so selfish. Th- there is a, co- a comment that I will get to in our buying or selling segment later from Max Kellerman yesterday talking about the NHL. And we'll see what you think about it. But I do think if if they don't play uh, this year, I think that it, I do personally think it is worse than ninety four because. 94, it was, you know, they played half the year already there in August, I believe, when the season. I mean, the Expos were the best team. Matt Williams was going to break the home run record. We haven't even played yet because of a pandemic, and I get it. But now if you're not playing just because of money and, and you can't agree on the money, when, you know, 41 million people are unemployed and people want are craving live content and baseball is a sport that heals and the NBA is already beating you back, the NFL is going to potentially be back, the NHL. The NBA hasn't beat them yet. Well, it's on paper there. On paper, they're saying they're going to play. Which okay, they may be beating them on paper, and that's where I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have great. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. They get back opening day, July fourth. You kidding me? 
record ratings. There'll be record television ratings for the game of baseball. And then let the NBA come back in late July. And when, 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 when's the NHL talking about? I think the NHL said you can open up your training camps on July 1st. I think they're shooting for towards the end of the end of the year because I or the end of July because I know the NBA said they're going to start their, their next the 2020 2021 season. I believe it's going to start December 1st. The draft will be in October and you have free agency. Then the season will start December 1st, which everyone always says. What's the thing? Uh, nobody cares about basketball really until around Christmas time because the NFL is ramping down and you have just the playoffs where people can start watching basketball where I don't know if the excitement was so high here because everyone knew the Warriors are going to be down. I don't know if they were going to be – if people thought they were going to be as down as they were. But that's it's, it's a good start for the NBA to push back a little bit because that way you're not competing every all the time with the NFL. You just have to do it for like a month or two. Then then it's all yours with the, with the NHL and, and then baseball comes back hopefully in next March for their fault for the 2021 season if they don't play this year. Can I can I uh, can I give you my opinion on the NFL? Let's hear it. Let's see what you have to say about the National Football League. Dun, 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 dun. I believe the NFL will play the moment I see the first kickoff and the ball in the air. That's when I'll believe it. All the way up. All the way up to that first game. I I'll believe it. When I see it, because as I said, not only are you going to have the money issues like baseball's having, that conversation's coming, but to have that many people stacked on top of each other and spit and saliva and snot and guys. You know, you're touching somebody on every play. (laughs) Seriously, I've been on the NFL sidelines. It's not a sterile place. You know, it's not like all of a sudden, hey, here's some Purell. I mean, these guys are sweating all over each other. Now you're going to be sweating all over and touching each other from guys that you don't even know where they quarantine. You got trainers touching you. You got doctors touching you. What are you going to do with the doctors? Doctors can't quarantine. They've got practices. They've got jobs. What's the NFL going to hire medical staffs for each team? And they got to hang out with the team because the teams are basically going to be quarantined. It's not like the Las Vegas Raiders. These guys are going to be like, hey, we're going about town. I mean, because the KBO has shown us you have to tell the players if you get it, you're done. That's where the KBO has been so smart. There's your lovely fiance. Yeah, I don't know what she's doing in the background, but you know that's the the beauty of having this on you. You and I seeing each other, and her having a day off. She's just roaming around in the background. But it's, I'm curious because my best friend from back in Pittsburgh is a doctor. Um, he just finished med school. He has a job. The Pirates hired him to be one of their doc. He's one of the the doctors for home games. So I'm curious to see how how that's going to work for him because he is also got hired to do pri- private practice work as well. He's going to have his own his own thing. So I got to talk to him more about that. But that's where I can kind of figure out – I can kind of get the idea of how the NFL could do it because he's a smart kid. Um, he is a doctor, so I'm sure he'll have the answers. But you're right. I, I'm with you a little bit about seeing the ball kicked off in the, in, in the air because I just don't see how the NFL – I mean, that's the one sport where you're constantly contacting each other. And hockey a little bit too, 
but nowhere near like the NFL. No, I mean, there's if they're talking about the way this virus spreads, and you got all these guys, and there's fluid everywhere. <laughs> you know, you're gonna have Mike Shanahan and John Gruden have a uh, have a mask on on the sidelines with a with, with the with the plastic. Oh yeah, vi- yeah. Shield, whatever you call it. Is that what all the coaches are going to look like? Well, Shanahan can't even get into his own complex yet because in the Santa Clara County, they're the like and if the NFL is allowing teams to go into their uh, head coaches go to the complex. Well, Kyle Shanahan can't go to the one in Santa Clara yet because of the restrictions. So, twenty nine, thirty one other coaches can go. Kyle Shanahan cannot just yet. Now, before oh, Feldy, God. before Feldy comes on, I went and looked and I did my research on the draft. Uh, Keith Law and our friend Kylie McDaniel from ESPN both have the ace taking a shortstop in the first round. So we took Logan – they took Logan Davidson, the switch hitter from Clemson last year in the first round, shortstop. So now they're looking at either uh, – I think Kylie McDaniel has him taking a shortstop from – Nick Lofton from Baylor, and then Keith Law has him taking a shortstop from Mississippi State. And then um, Jim Jim Callis, who we talked to the other day, has him taking a starting pitcher. So two well, out of three hey, guys have him taking a past, shortstop. In the past, A's love taking shortstops. That's, that's a fact. I mean, uh, Nick Allen out of San Diego, who I, I went to uh, junior high and high school with his mother and his aunt. Uh, his father went to the same high school, but he's older, so he was gone by the time I got there. But he went to high school with my brother. I, I've known that family forever, so I can't wait to actually meet Nick Allen and say, I know your grandparents. Uh, we all went to the same church. Remember they drafted Richie Martin out of, out of Florida. I was just going to say he, him. I mean, they have drafted, but but the thing is, there's certain positions in sports, like the one position now uh, that's so interesting is tight end in football. That Bill Parcells always loved taking tight ends because they've got size, they've got speed, and you can can they stay at tight end? Can they become a receiver? Can you move them to defensive end? Can you bulk them up, making them offensive lineman? It's kind of like shortstop. Like shortstop, usually your best athlete plays short. So can you play short? Can you play third? Can you move him to center field? Dave Feldman, how are you? I'm well, Tony. How are you? I am uh, I am doing well. Uh, heat's down a little bit. I've played a little golf lately, so feeling a little bit normal. And uh, I, I think, and, and you know, you're a baseball historian. We have never seen, before we get to the top ten, we have never, we have never seen the management and the commissioner and the players union negotiate this fast. Usually it's like so slow. Wouldn't you say this is fast you've ever seen? Yeah, it's fast because they know they have a timetable, right? They have to get something done and ready to go if they want to stick to trying to play ball by the end of July. I think that forces their hands a little bit where they know they have to make decisions quickly. Um, you know, even before there were, there were deadlines, uh, for strikes during midseason strikes during certain seasons, and you would see the negotiations ramp up right before that deadline. It really is the, it's the make or break, right? You give them a deadline and they have to get something done. Cause if I, if I was the adult in the room and I had Tony Clark, former teammate of mine back in the day, we were on an all-star team together. Uh, and and I had Rob Manfred, and, and I had him I had him at the table. I'd look at him and go, boys, if you don't play, and you're telling me during a pandemic 
and Black Lives Matter, and you're not going to play, and everybody else is playing, and you're going to go away for 18 months, I don't know what your sport will look like when you come back. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. I just think, I mean, it's it's so important, as you said, to 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 play and to find a way to make this happen. Um, all of eyes of sports are on you. I mean, it's different than basketball restarting their season uh, or hockey doing the same thing. This is starting a, a new season and getting them on the field and playing ball. You can't afford to miss an entire year. Right. It just, it would, it would be such a disaster. I think we're going to play. That's why I, I, I'm, I'm glass half full on this and the way they're talking, it looks like they're going to get to a deal and Madfred can, according to their, the deal they signed in March at any point, he can say we're starting up and this is as many games and you got to live with it. So I, I, I think we're going to make it happen, but now it's time for a little green and gold history. So we're going to do top 10, it's going to be the top 10 players drafted after the 10th round. Yeah, 10th round or later. You know, it's interesting this year with the draft being only five rounds. Um, and obviously, that's a lot of players who will not be drafted. But if you look at the history of baseball, players drafted after the fifth round and more so the 10th round, it is a really an uphill climb for those guys to reach the majors. It just does not happen as often as your top five picks, top five round picks do. And that's because the money invested, right? If you're a, you're a first round pick, you're making millions of dollars right away in these slot money, right? And so the team is invested in you and they're going to do everything they can so you can be successful, reach the majors and they get a return on the investment. And, you know, the further down you get drafted, you well, there's not that much money. You're not getting anything. So they don't have as much invested in you and you really have to do it on your own to stand out, to work your way up. Um, it's going to be interesting now, especially with this year, you know, with only the five rounds and players after that signing for $20,000 on average. Um, it kind of levels the playing field for a lot of minor leaguers. And it's going to be interesting to see how these free agent signings, which these players will be, how their path to the majors go. You know, Paul Himikides, who we have on from ESPN and, you know, top researcher and producer, and he's on the show Get Up and also – uh, Buster only brings him on the podcast baseball tonight every single week. And he's a former college baseball player. And I asked him, I said, okay, if you're a guy that let's say you're a really good player and you would have been maybe a sixth round or a seventh round, which you still get pretty good money. Would you take the 20 grand and start your career? He said, yes. I don't know. I'm talking about guys that coming out of high school. I'm like, right. You know, maybe, maybe cause you get guys that are drafted in the in the top 10 rounds and then all of a sudden you go to college and in three years you grow, you get bigger, you get stronger. And now instead of an eighth round pick, you can be a first or second round pick. Now you've made yourself a lot more money. You got three years into school to get you to help get you closer to your de degree. I would really have to weigh that option of just take the 20 grand and start my career versus take my scholarship start my start my you know get my degree and then hopefully i get better and then i get drafted higher and by that point hopefully everything's back to normal yeah you know i a guy like andre Ethier, right back in the early 2000s uh 
he went to community college for right out of high school. Uh, he plays one year there, gets drafted. He gets drafted in the 37th round. Okay, so he's not going to get any money. Um, and he's going to go to the lowest level of the minors. Well, instead, he gets a scholarship to Arizona State, plays two years at Arizona State, gets drafted in the second round by the Athletics, gets good money, and he's starting at A-ball. It, it's a, you know, some players can make it right away. Other players, like you said, they need to grow a little bit. And why don't spend that time at college playing in this organized ball uh, and give yourself a better chance to put yourself in a position to be a high-round draft pick and, again, to be taken care of more. Because once a team invests in you, they're going to take care of you. I'm with you. I think you're better off taking the college route. All righty. Who is your honorable mention? So these are guys, uh, little qualifications, drafted in the 10th round or later by the Athletics and then debuted with the Athletics. Uh, there's been plenty of guys who've been drafted by the A's and then uh, been traded away in certain certain instances and made their debuts uh, for other teams. But these guys were drafted and finally made an made their debuts with the A's. So uh, honorable mention, Greg Cataray was an 11th round pick in 1983. Darren Lewis, uh, 18th round pick in 88, uh, eventually traded to the Giants. Uh, A.J. Griffin was a 13th round pick. And then a couple of athletics who are on the roster right now, Lou Trevino was an 11th rounder uh, in 2013. And how about Seth Brown? In 2015, he was a 23rd round pick 578th overall and worked his way up to the big league. So a guy, both those guys have a chance to make this list later in their careers when we see what they do. Yeah. Well, I can tell you one former athletic is the greatest draft pick of all time. That would be the hall of famer, Mike Piazza. Mike Piazza, you talk about how uh, late a guy can be drafted and drafted by just as a favor. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is just this is a favorite of time of the sorta because this is Mike Piazza and he gets drafted in the 62nd round. <laughs> so Ooh, you never he, know. What did he sign for? Uh, I think he signed. He had to pay them. I think it's how it works. <laughs> he showed up to spring training with a check. <laughs> 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 uh, I mean, you're talking about a, you got to talk about getting value off a draft pick, uh, Mike Piazza. All right, number ten. Number ten. We're going to start with a local kid, and that's Shooty Babbitt. Shooty Babbitt was the A's 25th round pick in 1977 out of Berkeley High School, and and Shooty's one of those players who was a good athlete, a scrappy player, but no outstanding skill that set him apart from other players. Uh, he had some speed. He had some back control, but he didn't have a lot of power. So how does a guy like that make his way to the big leagues? And it is from just pluck, right? It's just being hard-nosed and grinding and then being at the right place at the right time. He kind of worked his way up through the A's organization, um, and then he goes to spring training in 1981. Billy Martin's the manager. Billy Martin, who also went to Berkeley High School, falls in love with Shooty. Shooty has a great spring. He hits 529 in spring, and he's the opening day second baseman. He's needed some, some life in the infield. And that's Shooty opened eyes with this great spring. And he played some in 1981, right? 256, but he had no power. He really didn't walk very much. Um, he just wasn't, he wasn't an impact player at all. And that was his only year in the big leagues. Uh, he played three more years in the minors, ended up going to the Montreal organization. 
uh, and that was a great scout. But pretty good, a 25th round pick to find his way to the big leagues. And you look at some of the other picks in the 1977 draft, the number one overall pick is a Hall of Famer, Harold Baines. The number three overall pick, Hall of Famer, Paul Molitor. And then two players who had great careers with the A's and unfortunately are no longer with us is number 20 overall, Bob Welch, and number 26 overall, Dave Henderson. Yeah, these drafts, it's fun to look back. And um, we have one of those on the on the state in baseball history. Uh, this is the day that uh, Dave Winfield went second, Robin Yount went third. Uh, both had pretty good careers. All right, Shooty Babbitt, friend of the program, one of my favorite people in all the game. Number nine. Number nine is a guy probably a lot of A's fans might have forgotten, uh, and that's catcher George Williams, who was the A's 24th round draft pick in 1991. Uh, you look at that 1991 A's draft, they took Brent Gates with the number 26 pick, and Gates had a, had a good start to his career, and then a leg injury ended for him. Uh, the number one pick that year is a guy who never made the big leagues. One of only three n- number one overalls to never make the big leagues. That was Brian Taylor, a left-handed pitcher for the Yankees. Uh, the other number ones not to make it were Steve Chilcutt, who was taken over Reggie Jackson, and Mark Appel, the Stanford pitcher, who was taken over Chris Bryant. Yeah, how'd that work out? Yeah. Uh, and Mark Appel, who was drafted number one twice. Um or first round twice, number one the second time. Uh, but George Williams, uh, what was attractive to the A's at the time, he was a switch hitting catcher. Uh, but he was a little older. He went to UT Pan America. He, uh, you know, he was 26 years old when he finally reached AAA. But he showed really good numbers in 1995 at AAA, hitting 310 with 13 homers. And he had that one skill that always caught the eyes of the A's, and that was on base percentage. He had a 413 on base percentage. Uh, and they were already looking. The A's were looking ahead. They needed a catcher to replace Terry Steinbach, who they knew they were going to lose after the 96 season. Um, originally, a guy you might have known, Eric Helfand, was going to be that guy, a guy from Patrick Henry High School in San Diego. Uh, also, Izzy Molina was part of there. But George Williams gets his ch- chance. Uh, struggled in 96, splitting time with, uh, with, with Steinbach. But in 97, actually has a really good year. It's 289. That on-base percentage is at 388. Uh, had a huge home run that I'll always remember in the game that Randy Johnson hit, had 19 strikeouts. Most people remember McGuire hitting the ball 538 feet in the kingdom, but George Williams also hit a homer off the big unit that day. Uh, so George Williams had his chance, and he got some playing time. Didn't really last after the 97 season, but for a 24th-round pick, not bad. Number eight. Number eight is uh, a local legend. Grew up in the East Bay, went to Nature Valley High School, played baseball at Cal, uh, lasted to the 10th round in 1986, and that's Lance Blankenship. Now, Blankenship's one of those interesting stories. You don't see this very often. So after his junior year at Cal, where he was an All-American, uh, playing third base, uh, he's a second-round pick of the Red Sox and decides not to sign with them and goes back to Cal for his senior year. Has a good year, not as good as the year before. He's still a, a Pac-12, uh, all Pac-12 selection, uh, playing more of the outfield now. Because actually Jared Goff's dad, Jerry Goff, was playing more third base that year for Cal. Um, Lance Blankenship ends up moving to the outfield. Uh, but, he, but now he's a senior. He's got nowhere to go. And he ends up being a 10th-round pick of the A's. 
and and Blankenship was a was a great athlete. Right at the end of his Cal career, he had school records for games, runs, RBI, home runs, total bases, steals, walks. I mean, this is a, this is a true athlete who could play, um, and he makes his way up to the A's uh, in 1988. Triple uh, A, he's at 3.97 on base percentage, 96 walks. He's showing that skill that is going to put him ahead of other guys. Uh, and in '89 and '91, he's he's a utility player. He basically takes the Tony Phillips role where he's playing all over the field. He plays in the 89 and the 90 World Series. Uh, by 1992, he takes over as a second baseman, uh, a team that wins the AL West. He has a 393 on base percentage. He's got 21 steals. Comes back in 93, plays 94 games, has a rotator cuff injury, and is never heard from again. And when I say never heard from again, during these reunions, when the A's have the 89 championship team, he's not there. And for what I know, I believe he still lives in the Bay Area, and I know he had a, a tropical fish store out in San Ramon for a while, but we've never seen, really heard from Lance Blankenship in 25 years. You know what? I don't know what year it is, but it wasn't that long ago. I had him on the, I had him on the, uh, I had him on the show. Did you? Yeah, I don't remember why. There was a specific reason, but yeah, I had him on the show and it's weird. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. They don't list him. You know, they just say athletics, 88 to 93. They don't list him as a world series champion. Yeah. Yeah. And played in the 89, got a hit in the 89 world series versus the Giants. Also played in the 90 world series. I mean, he was such a great athlete, uh, kind of soft spoken, but boy, he could do anything. He could run uh, great stolen base numbers in college and in the minors and not bad in the majors, but, I've always, for these reunions, I'd I love to see if we can get Lance back. Because I, I just, you know, the local kid, especially for me growing up in the East Bay, I always heard of him in Mesa Valley. Uh, come on, Lance, show up. Yeah, no doubt. Number seven. Number seven is the guy who's been in the news lately because he's currently pitching in Korea. That's Dan Straley. He was the uh, A's 24th round pick in 2009. Now, pitchers who get drafted late in the draft tend to – have a little easier time to make it to the majors than position players because pitchers grow and, and mature at a different pace. And sometimes things just click, right? And they'll saw having that discernible skill that will set them apart. And, you know, Straley was a okay college pitcher at Marshall, nothing special. And that's why he lasted the 24th round. Uh, but right away in the minors, he showed a knack for not walking guys and striking out batters. Um, he had a good fastball, but he had a really good slider that was usually about eight or nine mile an hour difference between the fastball. So it was hard for batters to to really discern, especially at that level in the minors. Um, you know, in 2009, right away after he gets drafted, 18 walks, 66 strikeouts uh, in the minors. And in 2012, at Midland, he's averaging 11.3 strikeouts per nine innings. At Sacramento, 11.1 strikeouts per nine innings. So by August 2nd, 2012, he's leading all of pro baseball with 175 strikeouts, and he gets called up to the A's. And he was good for the A's at the end of the 2012 season. Uh, right? He really helped that team. and They lost Bartolo Colon to the suspension. They lost Brandon McCarthy uh, after getting hit in the head with a line drive. But he took that spot in the rotation, and it was a real big factor. Um, and then in 2013, another solid year. He's actually pitching. Uh, Unfortunately, it ends up being a loss in game four. The ALDS, Detroit, he's got a 3-0 lead in the fifth inning before he hangs a slider to Johnny Peralta. 
uh, really his only mistake in that game. Um, and Australia moves on in his career. Now he's pitching in Korea, but uh, having that discernible skill, um, and that's what he had, that strikeout to walk ratio. It, it was eye-popping and it, it led his path to the majors. Dan, the K-Man Straley was on the program from South Korea and he's having a good time. We're going to have to check in again with him soon. All right, number six. Number six is still part of the ace family. He was the ace 10th round pick out of Pepperdine in 1995, and that's Ryan Christensen. So the 95 draft was interesting. Uh, the A's first pick in that draft, the first round pick, they took Ariel Prieto, the Cuban pitcher, um, passing on Todd Helton, who went number eight in the draft, also passing on Roy Halladay Oof. to get Ariel Prieto. Oof. So those are, those are tough. Uh, but they, they, you know, they love the look of our Prieto. Christensen, he lasts to the tenth round, and again, he's he's a player, a good college player, and he's got speed, he's got a good eye, um, and he gets his chance. And finally, in 1997, uh, in his second full years in the minors, he has one of those years where he goes to A ball, Double A, Triple A, puts it all together, hits 310 overall, 27 stolen bases, 105 walks. He's catching the eyes of the A's. And he has a good rookie year in 1998. Uh, he took over for Jason McDonald in center field, and he's kind of the everyday center fielder in 98. Uh, by 2000, though, now he's just sort of the fourth or fifth outfielder, a defensive replacement for Ben Greve late in games, um, not really getting a chance to play every day. But a smart player, as we can tell now, he's a very smart baseball guy, uh, who's able to work his way up by being that 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 fourth outfielder with the skill of speed and defense, and that can get you a job in the majors. Yeah, he's a great guy. Great to have him around and uh, be the right-hand man for Bob Melvin. Number five. Number five. Uh, another pitcher taken in 24th round in 2004. That's Dallas Braden. <laughs> Dallas Braden was a 24th round pick. Uh, but how about this? He is not the latest draft pick to ever throw a perfect game. In fact, he's not even the second latest. Uh, Kenny Rogers was a 39th round draft pick in 1982. 39th round. And Mark Burley, yeah. And Mark Burley was a 38th round draft pick. Wow. Pitchers, man. And I know you have Brad Ziegler coming up a little later on the show, and, and he can talk about it too. I mean, he was a 20th round draft pick. Pitchers, uh, the teams take a flyer on him, and if something just clicks, uh, it happens. And, you know, for Braden, um, it was all about control, right? He was never that hard thrower. He was going to be that left-hander. But he had that discernible skill that he wasn't going to walk batters. And that's what catches, especially at the major league level, uh, talent evaluators' eyes. Uh, in 2007 in Sacramento, 18 walks, 74 strikeouts. Um, just tremendous control. Um, 2004 draft for the A's. Everyone talks about the Moneyball draft in 2002. But in 2004, the A's had four of the first 40 picks in the draft. Four of the first 40. Um, and they didn't do great. Uh, number 24, they took Landon Powell. 26, Richie Robnett, who never made the big leagues. 36, Danny Putnam, who had a cup of coffee with the A's. Number 40, they did very well, is UC Street. 
Uh, and then in the second round, the 67th overall, they took Kurt Suzuki. So it ended up uh, being a good draft, especially getting Street and Suzuki. Um, also in that draft in 2004, uh, Matt Bush went number one. Uh, as we know his story, uh, he was going to be an infielder. Lot legal trouble got in the way, uh, worked his way back. But number two was Justin Verlander. And then in the second round, there was Hunter Pence and Dustin Pedroia. So an interesting draft in 2004. You know, the thing about pitchers, which is different than position players, and you learn this when you start working in the minor leagues, is that the position players, if you're not drafted high, the guy who's drafted high, he's going to play and you're going to ride the pine. If this guy's drafted the first, second, third, he's in. But pitchers, and especially now because we don't allow guys to go deep, They've got to have arms. So everybody's going to get an opportunity to pitch. And all of a sudden, if the reports are coming from Stockton saying, hey, this kid's getting everybody out, it's not going to matter then when where you were drafted. That's the thing. It's like you're going to get an opportunity as a pitcher because you you got to have arms to where position players, you get blocked so much. Well, that's a good point. You're going you're gonna to get a chance to get on the mound because they need you to get out. And again, if you have that skill that can open their eyes, you're going to get more and more opportunities. Number four. Number four is Scott Brocious, who was the A's 20th round pick in 1987 at a small Linfield College up in Oregon. Um, 87 was a great draft. That was Ken Griffey Jr., first overall. Jack McDowell went number five. Kevin Apier went number nine. Uh, Hall of Famer Craig Biggio went 22. Uh, but Brocious lasted to the 20th round basically because he didn't show any power in college. Uh, they liked his bat. They liked his bat speed, but he really wasn't showing any power. Uh, and then as he gets a little older, uh, and by 1990 at AA, it's 23 home runs. And works his way up in 91, uh, makes his major league debut, eight days shy of his 25th birthday. He homers and doubles in his debut, uh, can play everywhere in the field. Eventually, by 1996, he's the everyday third baseman. Hit 304 in 96 with 22 homers. Uh, then traded to the Yankees uh, for Kenny Rogers. Uh, he's a three times World Series champ. He's a 1988, 1998 World Series MVP, where he hit 471 with two homers against the Padres. Uh, from Little Linfield College, 20th round. Uh, again, there's the late bloomers. And scouts can sometimes see when a guy's going to develop power late. Uh, I don't know if that was exactly the case with, case with Brocious. I know they liked his bat, but in his case, he did develop the power late and became a very good major leaguer. God, you get traded and you get to play on arguably the greatest modern-day baseball team of all time, the 1998 Yankees. Imagine getting traded to those guys. Man, it's just, and here you go, you're going to trade it. You're going to play third base. You're going to take the spot of Wade Boggs, <laughs> and here you go. Oh, wait, there's Jeter. There's Bernie Williams. There's Jorge Posada. How's our pitching staff? Oh, there's Cone and Wells and Pettit. Oh, who's in the ball? Mario Rivera? Yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah, well, that, that, that's a dream ride for the former all-star, Scott Brocious. Number three. Number three is a guy we've talked about uh, a few times, and he was a 17th-round pick at a Central Arizona Community College in 2000, and that's Rich Harden. 17th round pick. Now, we say Central Arizona Community College. He only spent one year there, but this is a guy who pitched in high school in British Columbia uh, with not 
against great competition. Uh, he showed skill, but it was hard to really judge what Rich Harden was all about because he was not going against very talented players. And he was drafted out of high school as a 38th round pick by the Mariners. Uh, decided to go to community college, jumps up to the 17th round uh, and signs with the A's. And as we know, uh, worked his way up. Uh, 2003, he's, he's unbelievable. Unbelievable at Midland AA. In his first two starts, 13 innings, no hits, no walks, 17 strikeouts, uh, moves up to Sacramento, dominates there, and then he joins the A's rotation. And we know his major league career, because of the injuries, uh, was not what it could be. But again, a 17th round pick, uh, he was so talented, Rich Harden. And that's, you know, the 2000 draft, number one overall was Adrian Gonzalez. Chase Utley was in that draft, Adam Wainwright. And then taken after Harden, some more late round picks, Jose Batista and Jason Bay, who both had big major league careers. You know, I'm just going back to Brocious real quick. I've never heard of Milwaukee, Oregon. Did you know that there was a Milwaukee, Oregon? Yes. If you uh, fly into Portland Airport and you have to make your way down to either Oregon State or the University of Oregon, you will uh, take 205 South and you will see the sign for Milwaukee. Uh, and you can get off there, and there's some fine eating establishments. <laughs> Number two. Number two is one of my favorite players growing up. Uh, he was a 15th round pick in 1973 out of high school, Dwayne Murphy. Murph, this is a Charlie Finley draft pick. Uh, turns down a football scholarship to ASU. Now, you remember Dwayne Murphy with those broad shoulders. I mean, this guy was a hell of a football player. Uh, you mentioned tight end earlier. He played tight end. He also played middle linebacker and just a great athlete. Uh, but he turns down the football scholarship to go play baseball uh, as a 15th round pick. So not a lot of money. Um, and he spends five and a half seasons in the minors. And again, not showing power, but showing another thing that stood out. And that was leadership qualities. Everywhere he played, the comment was about how Murph is a leader of this team. Great defender. His defense was always above average, uh, makes his major league debut in 78, becomes a starter in 79, and then just takes off with one of the greatest outfields of all time, Ricky in left, Murph in center, Tony Armas in right. Captain Murph, he actually named the captain of the team. He's a six-time gold glover, and then the power comes, right? 27 homers in 82, 33 homers in 84, uh, a perfect number two hitter for, for most of his career behind Ricky because he could take pitches. He had a great eye. Uh, a guy just, you know, out of high school, probably shouldn't have gone to the minors. He needed to grow a little bit more, um, especially his skills. And that's why he spent five and a half years down there. Um, but thank goodness he didn't go play football at Arizona State because we would have not been able to see this, this unbelievable center fielder in Dwayne Murphy. Yeah, Paul Hembikides gives every, every Monday will give me five trivia questions. Some are A's related, some aren't. And the question was, who are the only two A's who have won four or more gold gloves? And Chavi and Murph, I guess them both. I was two for two. Nice. Two for two. And I got to <laughs> tell, and I, and I tell you, you know, these decisions in life, you know, what if he goes football? What if he busts his knee up and he never becomes a professional? But I mean, you know, it's just certain decisions that you make in life that you, that where you choose that path, it's uh, 
it's, you know, thank God he chose the right path, especially for him financially. True. All right. I can't wait. Number one. Number one, 15th round pick in 1982 out of a high school in Miami, Jose Canseco. Uh, So we look back at at the 82. Uh, So Jose, this is a guy who didn't even make his varsity team in high school until senior year. His twin brother, Ozzy, was thought of more of a prospect, and he was a pitcher. Um, And that 82 draft, uh, Sean Dunstan went number one overall. Uh, Dwight Gooden was number five. Uh, in the second round, Barry Larkin was taken. Barry Bonds was drafted in the second round, the 38th overall pick by the Giants that year. He Obviously, he did not sign and went to Arizona State, but a second round pick out of high school and not to sign. Uh, that's an interesting choice because baseball, I think, is the one sport that has it right in that is if you're eligible for the draft after your high school class graduates. If you don't sign and you decide to go to college, you have to spend three years in college before you can be drafted again. You can be drafted after your junior year. To me, that's the best system um, because it helps the colleges and helps the player. But for a player to make that decision as a second-round pick out of high school, you don't see that very often. Now, obviously, Bond made the right choice, and it worked out great for him, but it was odd at the time. Um, the A's in 1982 – uh, they didn't even have a first-round pick. Uh, they lost it to the Red Sox. It was compensation for the A's signing Joe Rudy. They lost their first-round pick to, to sign an aging Joe Rudy for the 82 season. Uh, their, their first pick they had that year was in the second round. They took Steve Onaveris, uh 54th overall, which was okay. I mean, he had two cents with the A's. and actually led the AL in ERA in, 80, in 94. He was an all-star in 95. and he, Actually, he was pitching as late as he was 40 years old. But Jose gets taken in the 15th round, and we know the story. Uh, he's not showing a lot of power. He's not showing a lot of growth. Uh, and then finally, by the turn, time he turns 20 in 1985, he lights the minor league world on fire. 36 homers, 127 RBIs, 333 average. He's the second coming. Uh, and he has a fantastic major league career, not as good as it probably could have been. But he still hit 462 home runs. He's a six-time All-Star, an MVP, 40-40, two-time world champion with the A's and the Yankees. And he's one of only 14 all-time with 400 homers and 200 steals. So even in a career that should have been better and might have been enhanced and definitely was enhanced, uh, it was still pretty good. And, and, and for our younger fan base out there, you got to realize, so we're talking late 80s, Jordan's not Jordan yet. Okay, Magic, and you know this is the you know birds starting to wind down. Magic's still a star. Joe Montana's a star. Jose Canseco was a star. Jose Canseco, put it this way: you had paparazzi following Jose Canseco, and they have the 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 video of Jose Canseco coming out of Madonna's apartment in New York. Paparazzi were following him. There's no other baseball player like Paparazzi's not following Mike Trout. Jose Canseco at the All-Star game, I remember uh, in Chicago uh, on on the north side, because everybody likes to say south side, uh, (laughs) at Wrigley Field, if you remember, that was back when, you know, know, those apartments were independent from the Cubs, and people were hanging out of the building saying, hit it here, Jose. He was a rock star. 
Yeah, and that that that, that A's team, 88, 89, 90, they were rock stars. They traveled like rock stars. And Jose was, was the biggest of them all. Uh, everybody wanted a piece of Jose, and he loved it. I probably loved it a little too much. Uh, <laughs> but he just, you know, you talk about what Dennis Rodman was like. Uh, for the Bulls and, and taking trips to Vegas in the middle of playoff series. Now, Jose wasn't quite like that, but he had that way about him where you wanted to party with Jose Canseco. Um, and he wasn't even that big of a partier, to be honest with you, but he had that charisma about him. He was Jose Canseco, right? This, oh, he's the first 40-40 guy. No one ever done that before. And he was hitting bombs. Uh, people would come out to batting practice to watch him and McGuire hit bombs. No one did that before those two. I mean, it was just, it was a show everywhere they went. That team was unreal uh, to go around the country with. All righty. Go down the top 10 again. Top 10 A's draft picks taken in the 10th round or later to the B with the A's. Number 10 was Shooty Babbitt, 25th round in 77. George Williams, 24th round in 91. Number eight, Lance Blankenship, 10th round in 1986. Dan Straley. 24th round in 2009, Ryan Christensen, 10th round in 95, number five, Dallas Braden, 24th round, 2004, number four, Scott Barocious, 20th round, 1987, Rich Harden, 17th round in 2000, number two, Dwayne Murphy, 15th round, 1973, and number one, Jose Canseco, 15th round in 1982. Great stuff as always. We'll talk to you soon. Be safe and uh, take care of the parents. All right. Be well, Tony. That's our ace historian, David Feldman. That was a good list. I like that. With the draft coming around, it's what, Cody? It's next Wednesday? Yeah, next Wednesday and Thursday for the draft. So June 10th and June 11th. You may not know this, but every year I ask Billy to draft me. So just so I can say I was drafted. I'm like, come on, man. You got all these, you know, this was years ago. You got all these these picks at the back of the draft. Sometimes you're drafting football players that you know are never going to play baseball. Come on. Help a brother out. Nope. Now it's five rounds, so I can't even make that call. Were you did you get any did you get uh, any looks coming out of San Jose State? I never I don't think I can't remember if I ever asked you this. At a high school, the Phillies put a card in on me. I thought I was going to get drafted by the Phillies. You would have lived on the no, East Coast. No, no one wants a guy who's 5'9", Cody. Dustin Pedroia is on the phone. Mookie Betts and, and, is on the phone. My, my best friend's twin brother, Dan Matson, who now is the Western region guy for the Boston Red Sox, uh, he's the one that got Pedroia drafted out of Arizona State. He saw it. Yeah. Pedroia was Pedroia was a baller in college. Yeah, he was good. Uh, I'm trying to think of any. Uh, the only pitcher Black I think Gordon, of. Tom Gordon. I'm right-handed pitchers. There's not many short right-handed pitchers in Major League Baseball. Marcus Stroman's the first one that comes to mind for me. He's How not, tall is he? Stroman is. He's under six foot because um, he is. Let's see. I'm pulling it up now. How tall was Sonny Gray? Sonny doesn't look very tall in, in person either. Yeah, but he was taller than I was. Uh, let's see. Stroman is 5'7". Really? Yeah. I, you know what? I've never, I've never, I've never talked to Stroman. Sonny Gray's five ten, so he's an inch taller than you. See, I told. And then you put the spikes on. All right. Earlier today. See, that's why you listen to Ace Cast. 
we just give you content after content. Sometimes we go to break, sometimes we don't. But we're not like a radio station that has to do these breaks. I mean, we're basically going to give you about an hour, about, I don't know, hour and a half straight of content. That's what I'm talking about. Earlier today, I caught up with the submariner. Really good guy. And you think about the start of his A's career. It was incredible. It was record-setting. Brad Ziegler from Kansas City. Here is my conversation with him. Hey, it's good to see you. How are you? It's been a while. No kidding. Uh, it's, it's, it has been a while, but um, it's good to, to be in a situation to talk a little baseball. There hadn't been a whole lot of that going on lately. Um, How's the nationwide. family? Uh, doing well. Doing well. The kids were amazing through the, the whole homeschooling process. And, um, you know, it was that was definitely something I never thought I'd be a kindergarten teacher. Um, but but here I am. You know, so interesting the way we do these interviews, uh, whether we do them by phone or we do it through Google Meet and where we're able to see you. A lot of people don't know that you're a collector and I can see all these baseballs <laughs> behind you. Uh, I remember years ago we had the conversation about all the baseball cards that you have. I mean, you love the game of baseball and you love being a collector. Yeah, I, you know, it's. I think I appreciate the history of the game really well. And so that's something that, um, you know, all, almost all the stuff I collect is hall of famers that I've got a few balls. Um, so there's what, eight, eight, nine rows of, of signed balls behind me on the wall. And I think the middle four rows are all hall of famers. And then all the rest of them are just stars, people that casual fans would have heard of, um, or guys that I played in the world baseball classic with, um, that kind of thing. And, um, it's just, you know, it's just something, you know, I've always appreciated the history of the game and, and I always have, I've been a collector since I was a kid. And um, obviously uh, my big league career allowed me to, to do a little more than I could do when I was in elementary school. You know, there, there's a lot of people who come to the big leagues and they struggle. And I always talk about with pitchers a lot. And we've uh, Scott Emerson and I just went over this pitching coach for the A's that, Guys come up and they just try and survive. And it takes time before you become a guy that goes out to win. Mm -hmm. I think about the start of your career. It was historic. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And we just kept following it going, man, he hasn't given up a run. Then he hasn't given up a run. Next thing you know, it's like best start of, of, of a reliever's career in the American League. And then you tie the all-time scoreless streak for a reliever. Take us back. You come up. And then all of a sudden, it's historic stuff. Yeah, it was, it's funny because I, I still, looking back, I still really feel like I really didn't know what I was doing. I'd only been throwing submarine for about, uh, you know, a year at that point, or, you know, prior to the beginning of that season. Um, I know I pitched a couple months in the minor leagues that year, but basically a, a year and a half at most. And I was still having to work on my delivery every single day with Ron Romanic down in the bullpen. This, we, we'd use the rag ball, the, you know, basically a T-ball. Um, go down there and and just throw and throw and throw and go through that delivery until the I had to get it to the point where I wasn't thinking about the delivery on the mound. And even in the midst of that stretch, we were out working every day just trying to to fine tune some stuff. And and I really I didn't you know it, it was, was thirty nine innings and I I might have had maybe eighteen or twenty strikeouts in that time. Um, you know that that wasn't my game. I was just trying to get the ball on the ground and and we had a really good defensive infield. You know it was. It was, you know, Derek Barton at first and Xavi at third and Crosby at short and Mark Ellis at second. I mean, there's gold gloves all over the place there. And Ellis should have won a gold glove. Um, and it's 
it was just a, a kind of a perfect storm of a really good defensive infield behind me and and me being new to the league and guys you know I, I think maybe had a little trouble adjusting to my style of throwing because there just weren't that many of us back then you know the crazy thing is when you make a change as a hitter you can hit all day long in the cage and work on it. you can soft toss you can hit off a tee you, you, you can you can you know, you can go in and, and, and take hacks in the cage, but as a pitcher, there's only so much you. There's only so many times you can throw before you're going to hurt yourself. So, what was that like? You know, you got to manage how you got to manage your arm when you're going through a process like that. Yeah, for sure. And you know, fortunately, I I had a build. I you know, I'm not saying I never got sore or anything, but when you're a long, lanky build, it's a lot different than a muscle bound guy where the the bigger, stronger guys will fight muscle soreness a lot more than I did. I didn't have a lot of muscle, uh, you know, in my arm and shoulder. Um, and that led to me being able to pitch frequently, um, you know, to maybe even just to throw the way that I did. I, th- I think there's a lot of guys who have tried it that, that couldn't do it. So it, it was a challenging. I'm not going to say it wasn't. Um, and especially they wanted, there were times I, I feel like I was out there three, four, five days in a row. Um, I know there were games that I pitched three innings in that that wasn't something I had done at all since I had been a starter. And, um, it was just, you know, it, but when you're a rookie in the big leagues, you don't want to tell anybody, no, they're like, Hey, let's go work on your delivery or, Hey, you're, you know, you're go get loose. You're about to go in the game. It doesn't matter at that point. Like they, if you, it's, you get that, that mindset of like, if I tell them I'm, you know, I'm hurting and I can't go today, then they, well, are they going to send me down tomorrow? You know, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, looking back on it now, I probably would have handled it a little differently. Um, if I, you know, I just, just had the guts to speak up a little bit, but, I just, I wanted to get better and I wanted to do whatever it took to stay there. And and that was the biggest thing for me. It just, you know, I, I can't control if they want to send me down or, or whatever, but I want to make that a tough decision for them at a minimum. So when you, I mean, it's, it's a last ditch effort, right? When you say I, I'm going to drop down, I've never done this before. When you first make that decision and you start doing it, how wild were you? Where, where was the ball going out of your hand when you first tried this? So, so I will say first, and, and this is something that was really important to this process. I didn't want to switch when they asked me to switch and they assured me that this was not a last ditch thing for me. They, that if, if it didn't work out or if I decided I didn't want to do this after a uh, after a point, they wanted to keep me in their system as an overhand starter, you know, and, and continue pitching the way I was, maybe move me to the bullpen uh, to see if I get a velo, a velo spike or something. But they wanted me no matter what. And that meant a lot to me because then I could, I still always ha- kind of had a backup plan still. It wasn't that I was, I had to be locked into this. Um, that said, the the mindset for me was, so the, the first two weeks that I was learning the delivery down at Instructional League, I mean, I'm down there with a bunch of 17, 18, 19 year old kids. And I was like 26 when I was, you know, learning this stuff. And the first two weeks, I did not touch a baseball other than I played overhand catch like normal. But when I was going through my delivery, it was all dry. It was all without a ball, just trying to get the repetition down. So when they finally gave me a ball, it wasn't like, hey, you've never done this before. Try to try to throw this way. It was different with a ball in my hand. But even when I was a starter, I had I had mixed arm slots a little bit. I had, you know, John Smoltz was was probably the guy that I, I patterned myself after the most growing up and. He, you know, he would drop down sidearm occasionally and and stuff. And so when he did it, I was like, you know what, I can try that. And in re- in reality, I think I learned the way 
to throw the way that I ended up throwing in wiffle ball growing up because you change arm slots all the time in wiffle ball because it's, it's whatever you can to make the guy not, not hit it. And, and so my arm was just kind of used to that. And I, I think some of that, you know, when they saw me mixing arm slots as a starter, they, they thought, Hey, maybe this guy could do this full time. And, um, you know, fortunately it worked out. And think you then become a closer. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely not the plan. Um, you know, they, they, they never looked at me as this is a guy we want to close. It was, you know, it, it was always, and even after my days in Oakland, when I was in Arizona, when I was in Boston, it was always because either someone struggled or someone got hurt. Um, you know, it was, you know, Houston struggled a little bit in, in 2008. Um, I came in and started closing, you know, I started the year in 2009 as the closer and I got sick. I don't, I got the H1N1 virus and Andrew Bailey took over and became the American league rookie of the year. And, and at that point, I just assumed like, I'm probably never going to close again. I'm okay with that. Went to Arizona and, you know, one year JJ put started struggling. Then one year Heath Bell started struggling. One year Addison Reed started struggling. I uh, went to Boston. Um, Craig Kimbrell went on the DL. It was, it was, there was just like this, this mix of all these proven closers. Something had to happen to them. But I, I never looked at the ninth inning as any differently than any other inning. I, I've got to get out. So it doesn't matter what the inning, what the situation. Um, you know, the only difference is in the ninth inning, teams will pinch hit and throw throw guys at me in ways that they wouldn't do in the seventh inning. Because in the ninth inning, you just got to extend the game and you figure out your defense later. But it, you don't pinch hit a, you know, a, a, your, your backup catcher for your center fielder in the seventh inning of a game um, just to get a matchup. They're, they're trying to do that. Um, you know, only as a last resort. And so, um, you know, I did, I did what I could to, to keep the same mindset and just go out and get ground balls. You know, I, I feel like I didn't know that you had H1N1 and I feel like <laughs> we now know more about viruses than ever before because of COVID-19. I, you know, I didn't know much about SARS. Uh, what was that like having that virus and how'd you get over it? Uh, it was rough. Um, so, we were down in Texas, hot, humid day. I think it was in May. Um, and we had a day game that day and I woke up with a high fever. It was like 105, 105 and a half. It was, I just remember being like completely miserable. Um, they said, don't come to the field. Um, they, so then we, after the game was over, we had a flight to Seattle and they, they like quarantined me on the flight. Like no one could be within a certain distance from me. And, flight attendants wouldn't even like, they were like throwing me bottles of water, you know, like here, this is, this is the only way we're serving you. Cause they were told to stay away. Um, when we got to Seattle, I went to see the doctor there and that's when they did the blood test. And it was like, you know, this random virus that um, I didn't know much about. And at the time they called it the, the swine flu or something. And, um, but it, it, uh, you know, I, after it, fortunately that one had a very short shelf life of, of, you know, the, the, the length of time it lasted, the length of time you were contagious, how long you had the symptoms. Um, for me, I was able to fight it off fairly quickly. And, and, but by the time I came back, you know, Bailey had been pitching well before that and they gave him the reins and he never let it go after that. And, and I'm, you know, I was glad for him that he, you know, got a chance to, to go out and win that rookie of the year. Yeah. And, uh, of course now a pitching coach himself. So it's going to be fun to watch his career continue. Uh, but we need to get baseball back on the field. I know you've made comments recently about it. And how do you think we get this thing going again? Because if NASCAR is going, 
PGA Tour starting up on the 11th. We've got football says they're going to be a go. Basketball, hockey, they're going to have their playoffs. If they're all playing and we're not, that's going to be a real bad look. Yeah, and and what's interesting is I haven't heard a single thing in any of the other sports about the owners trying to get the players to take less money on the chance that there will be no fans or less fans in the in the stadiums. And you're hearing that in baseball and that that you know that's the big hang up. The players are willing to to do a lot of other stuff, but they're not willing to to take less money per game because you know as a as a from a historical side of things, this union has fought hard for guaranteed contracts and to give anything back from that perspective looks like a loss from to the players. And, and there is a constant fear that anything we give back to the owners will be used in, in future collective bargaining agreements because they know at least at some point, even in a time of crisis that there's a willingness to, and the players said, look, we're not asking you to pay our full salary. We just want the prorated amount. They've agreed to that. And the owners are basically just saying, no, we're going to lose too much money doing this. So we'll play a 50 game season. And that's, you know, that's their choice because they're going to end up losing a whole lot more money than that down the road when 2021 fans don't come back in the, you know, the way that they should, but they still got to play, pay the players their full amount. And they're, you know, they're, to me, they're digging their own grave at this point. And and it's going to be a tough grave to get out of once they're laying in it. Yeah. I've mentioned on this show, if you don't play, that means you've been gone for 18 months and through all these, you know, when there's 41 million people unemployed and we're not playing because of money and everybody else is playing. And I don't know what the sport will look like when you come back in 18 months. Yeah. And, and not only that, but who's to say that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't potentially happen at the beginning of next year. I mean, we don't know if there's going to be a second wave of this at some point and, um, you know, it's, it's, there's just a lot of unknown, but the bottom line is the players want to play. There's not a doubt about that. They're willing, they're all working out. They're ready to go. And, and, you know, everybody talked about a, if they wanted a July 1st start, they needed to be, you know, in their, their pseudo spring training come mid June. And the players realize that they know that if a, an agreement is signed, they basically had to pack up and leave in a week and they're all in shape. They're all ready to go. So it's, it's just a matter of the owners saying, you know, deciding, are they going to, you know, basically take losses in the short term to ensure the the long term security of the game, um, keeping fans around, that kind of thing? Because they can do that. They could have some short term losses that, you know, from the players' perspective, I think they feel like those the losses that have been made public are very overstated. Um, but they're if they're willing to take this short term loss, get the game going again knowing that fans are going to come back in droves in 2021 and TV TV ratings will be record high. If they can get going again, then to, to me, it's it's just a matter of weighing pros and cons, but from the player's perspective, nothing changes. Like just because there's not fans out there doesn't mean you don't play the game as hard. It doesn't mean you don't work as hard. It doesn't mean you don't have, you know, plus they're, they're, allowing themselves to go into a locker room secluded with a bunch of other people who they don't know who they've been in contact with. And, and so there's some health risks involved with it too. If I'm the players, I don't blame them. I, I don't, I don't budge one inch when it comes to, to my, you know, the pay that I signed up for my, from my perspective, I'm not doing anything different. It's the owner's job and, and to, to make money on the business side of things. It's not the player's job. So I got a really good friend, Mike, who lives in Kansas City. He's still sky high about the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I, I bet you you got to be the exact same. Finally in your lifetime, 
You're not talking about Lenny Dawson and Hank Stram winning the Super Bowl. Finally, your Kansas City Chiefs that you grew up with finally get it done. Yeah, it was man, that was special. It, you know, the way this city, this is a great sports town. They when the Royals won in 2015, I was here. You know, I had been, I was in Arizona, but had been beat out. Um, we didn't make the playoffs that year. I came back here, got to spend all of October here uh, while the Royals were going through the World Series march. And the way this city rallies around a team that, that's successful is just, it's so fun to watch. And man, the, you know, everybody's rabid Chiefs fans here. It, it's, it's pretty crazy. They, um, they do a lot of uh, neat stuff for the team and the players are great with the community. Um, and you talked about a, a memor- my memorabilia collection. This was my latest purchase. I bought a replica trophy of the Lombardi <laughs> trophy to put in my bar area that's, that's uh, you know, engraved and, and it's got the score of the game and everything on it. Basically looks just like the real thing. And um, it showed up two days ago. So I was, I was pretty pumped because I, you know, um, and, and, you know, with Patrick Mahomes' connection to, to baseball, with LaTroy Hawkins being his godfather, you know, obviously Pat Mahomes played, um, you know, for the Twins a long time ago, Twins and Mets. And um, I've known LaTroy ever since my days on Team USA in 2009. We're good friends. He's a – LaTroy's a Kansas Jayhawks fan, uh, just like me. And and so we, um, we've we been connected for a long time. And and he told me a long time ago about Patrick. He's like, yeah, man, my other, my other godson is, is special talent and – and, you know, for him to end up in Kansas City just made it that much better. Hey, it's great to see you. It's great to hear your voice. I know A's fans love it. Uh, good luck with Little League. I know it's starting up back where you guys are. And uh, uh, we'll be in touch. Let's do this again soon. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Chris. Brad Ziegler. How about that? That was awesome. People forget that he had that incredible start of 39 scoreless innings to – his career, but it was just he tied tied he's tied with the great Al Denton, a uh, Benton, sorry Benton. Um, Who? Yeah, he's on the nineteen forty nine uh, Cleveland team. But oh, I gotta give him respect. I mean, just because we don't know him, but he played in the forties, so obviously he was pretty good. Yeah, and you were talking about. I wanted to make sure we got this in uh, earlier. You mentioned uh, something about uh, on this date in baseball history. Yes. Do you, do you want me to bring it up, what happened? There's a couple yes. of good ones, but we're going to bring up the, the best one. In 1974, Oakland outfielder Reggie Jackson, tired of being, tired of being picked on by Billy North. Well, Billy North seemed to fight everyone, it seems like. Tackles, yeah. tackles his, teammate, his ace teammate in Tiger Stadium Clubhouse, starting a nasty fight which results in some costly injuries. In addition to Jackson, Reggie Jackson injuring his shoulder, Ray Fossey, attempting oh. to separate the brawlers, crushes a disc in the catcher's neck that virtually ends his season. Does the name David Clyde mean anything to you? Um, it doesn't. I mean, I know the story, but that name does not mean anything. Uh, oh. Yeah, seeing who the guys uh, that got taken after him are. Uh, yeah, yeah. David Clyde was a high school pitcher, was 18-0, and 14 shutouts, and five no hitters. <laughs> Is that a good senior year? Throw five no hitters. He was the first pick in the draft. He won only seven games and twenty five starts for the Texas Rangers. Taken behind David Clyde, who a guy you might have heard of, had a pretty good little career. He was drafted in all three sports: NBA, NFL, and Major League Baseball. Out of the University of Minnesota, the great Dave Winfield. And then after Dave Winfield, 
a guy that won an MVP at shortstop and center field, Robin Yount. So David Clyde was taken first on this day in 1973, and uh, they missed out on some Hall of Famers, Dave Winfield and Robin Yount. The great Bob Nightingale from the USA Today joins us here on A's Cast Live. How you been, Bob? It's been a while. Yeah, doing great. How are yourself, Chris? Uh, you know, we're starting to open up a little bit here in Northern California. I've got a couple rounds of golf in, so starting to feel a little more normal. Yeah, yeah. So that's been in uh, same as in Phoenix when Memorial Day was here. I want to say half of California was out. Like people couldn't wait, wait to actually go to restaurants and bars and everything else. So uh, 1973, on this date, David Clyde gets taken over Dave Winfield and Robin Yount. Um, that is not a good draft pick. No, I think that's the thing about the baseball draft. And you see some uh, complete bust, things like that. You know, when he was the, uh, the big deal in uh, Texas and, you know, never had minor league experience. So it kind of ruined his career just by, by doing that. Should have been the, he should have been the minor leagues at some point. All right. So where exactly are we in the labor negotiation to get this season going in 2020? You know, I, I know it sounds funny, Chris, but they're not that far apart. I mean, MLB had already said, hey, we'll guarantee the full pro rate of pay. At 50 games, obviously the union wants 114. There's no way you can play 114 games. So I think they'll reach a compromise around, you know, around 81 games or so. Maybe they take a little bit of a uh, of a slight pay cut, you know, to get you to the 81, 82 games. But you know, there'll be a there'll be definitely be a season, and I think they'll reach an agreement next week. That's so good to hear because I've been saying on this show, if you got NASCAR running. You got the PGA Tour starting on the 11th. You got basketball giving you, hey, this is how we're going to do it. We're all going to go to Walt Walt Disney World and play. NHL is going to go straight into their postseason. NFL is talking about training camps and starting all uh, on time. If all that's going on and baseball's not playing, this will be so horrific. Oh, it would be. It would be devastating to the sport. And, uh, you know, I'm very hyperbole, but I don't think that sport would recover. You know, remember when the 94 uh, World Series was canceled, you know, it took 13 years to get back to that same uh, attendance figures from 1993. In this case, you know, doing it during a uh, pandemic, uh, you know, and now, of course, with the, uh, the protests and everything else going on, to be arguing over money now is just the wrong, wrong time. Yeah, they, they, they cannot do, do this. And they, they both sides know it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, and and because I, I we were talking about earlier, this would be worse I mean, if you don't even have a season. You know, this was just canceling the World Series in '94. This is canceling the season and the World Series. Your your sport would go dark off the dri- off the grid for 18 months, and these players can talk about all these guaranteed contracts. Those guaranteed contracts would be worth nothing. They'd just be pieces of paper. Yeah, and then come free agent time, hey, you know, the owner's going to say, wait, you just wiped out our season. We lost $4 billion. We're not going to sign you. It could be like a uh, kind of a legalized collusion type deal. So, yeah, and the, uh, you know, getting some money is better than nothing. But just, you know, with 40 million what Americans out of work, and, you know, there were over 100,000 deaths in the pandemic, you know, nobody could do this and, and, and survive through it. You just can't, you can't argue. If you want to cancel World Series because of safety and health, that's fine. But not over finances. 
Yeah, and I got a feeling what we're going to see, and I know especially for California teams, is there's not going to really be anybody in the ballpark. There's going to be the players. There's going to be the coaches, the manager. There's going to be, you know, some security. I don't really think, uh, you know, we may see radio broadcasters, but I already know that I'm going to be doing everything from my house, my home studio. Uh, how, How have you heard? from teams how they want to do it and how many people you think will be in the ballpark well i think it'll be mlb regulated so uh i think as far as broadcasters for instance i think the broadcast team will be uh, permitted to do the home games uh no road games because they don't want broadcasters traveling uh you know they don't increase a traveling party now if they're going you know if the a's announcers are going across the bay to san francisco yeah i'm not sure you know why not you know allow them to do that Writers, I think, uh, I think 35 maximum of media outlets and in uh, newspapers allowed in a press box, but not doing Zoom calls, you know, before games and after games, you know, not even uh, interview rooms. So, yeah, well, and we'll see about the fans. You know, the governor in Texas says, "Hey, come on, we'll, uh, you know, as long as it's social distancing, you know, go ahead. We'll have a, a quarter of our stands filled in Houston and in Arlington." And I do believe that before the year is out, I think we'll have fans, a lot of ballparks. That's good news. And I love hearing that, you know, even if, even if you can only have so many, I think it would just be healthy for, you know, a lot of people are going to be watching this on television. And, you know, once we get this going, do you think we will have, you know, cause if baseball starts up in early July, you think we'll have record TV ratings? I'm not sure. I still don't think we'll have, have the rings you know, like they were back in the day. Too many channels. I'm yeah, back with only three networks. So I don't think I'm going to be record. I mean, the one thing that's going to help and will be inflating is, is the ratings wise. Well, you know, the average attendance, I think, at most ballparks are probably, you know, 30,000. So you should have at least 30,000 more viewers because those, you know, diehard fans that go game after game, the season ticket holders, now are forced to watch on TV. So you should have a natural increase just, just from those people. Uh, it'll be interesting because the NBA will be starting up, you know, not too much later. And I think, you know, with the playoffs and the way it's set up, like an NCAA tournament, I think that'd be very compelling TV. You know, when I think about how they're going to do this, do we really have an idea? Okay. Is it just, you're going to play AL, AL West, NL West plays against each other, the central, the East. So that's the way. So, so we will only see for the A's, they will only be playing teams in the NL West and AL West. Yeah, correct. So no cross-country trips for every, for anybody. Uh, you know, those teams in the central time zone have really got it made. Uh, most of those things are almost drivable, at least by train. Uh, yeah, and so that's why it's going to be a, uh, you know, compressed schedule. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, the teams – you know, fans that love to see teams like the, you know, the, the Yankees, the, you know, the Dodgers, that sort of thing, the Cubs, you know, they're going to you know miss out this year. But you know what? For us, I just think about like attendance. Our attendance goes way up when the Giants cross the bay. Our attendance, our attendance goes way up when the Dodgers come to town. You know, there's something about these California teams. And I think you can say the same thing for, for Cubs, White Sox or, or, or Yankees, Mets. We have these teams that could be natural rivals because it's just to get the rivalry going with the Rangers and the Astros. It's just hard to do. Could this possibly maybe lead us to some new realignment when we come out of this pandemic? 
Well, this is what baseball has wanted to do for a long time, Chris, to tell you the truth. So I think with the next CBA, they'll totally try to do this. So in 2022, and you're exactly right to have, you know, I think you're going to really play people get a little tired of it, but I still love to see the Giants and A's and, you know, Dodgers, Angels, that sort of thing. So I, I do think if baseball has its way, they will realign the divisions to make sure that does happen. Yeah, because I think what people don't understand is the amount of travel that the California and the West Coast teams have compared to the East Coast teams, it's a total competitive advantage. I know people are going to go, oh, they're, you know, they're in these jets and, you know, it's private planes, but still logging that much air miles is a definitely a competitive advantage for the East Coast teams versus the West Coast teams. No, absolutely. You know, all those teams are bunched up on the East. Uh, I mean, there's no easier no easier division for travel than the NL Central. You know, when you have, uh, you know, Chicago and St. Louis, you know, just they're all, they're all together. And all, uh, Pittsburgh is pretty much, except for Pittsburgh, you could drive to about all those places. Everything's within a, uh, you know, like an hour flight. So, yeah, they have a big advantage. And those, those players will tell you, too, it's like we can't complain about travel. We got it made over here. Yeah, I mean, you look in the NFL last year, a lot of fans don't know this, you know, and we got a lot of Niner and Raider fans. The New York Jets last year never left the Eastern time zone. Never. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. That's amazing. <laughs> and I think, yeah. And, yeah. And, and you think about the Seattle Mariners, my God, how much they travel. It, it's crazy what the air miles they log. Yeah, brutal travel for Seattle. I mean, you kind of hope that one day there's a team in Portland just to kind of help them out. But you're right. I mean, a, uh, you know, that the, when the Texas teams have to go out west. And nobody likes playing outside their time zone either, just a, uh, a natural time. And when the A's are playing in New York, you know, people are working at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, when, uh, when the Yankees are in, uh, in California, you know, they don't want to stay until 2 in the morning and watch their team play. You know, you mentioned Portland, and we know baseball wants to expand to 32 teams. What what, what, are, what are the rumored cities out there that you could see, be the you know, the two cities that you could see baseball expand to? Well, one, I'm not sure we're going to, you know, get that for a while just because, you know, they're still waiting to see, see what's going to happen with Oakland and Tampa. But, you know, if they ever, you know, do able to, or even if it relocation, it would be, uh, you know, Portland uh nashville charlotte and montreal montreal gets new, if montreal gets a new stadium i think they're going to get a team in nashville you know that up in those up and coming cities same as charlotte uh you know a lot of uh, fortune 500 companies in both so plenty of money there and i think they're both major league cities i don't i don't, I don't buy vegas because phoenix has a hard enough time and things is a much bigger city las vegas so i, I don't buy vegas you know, we, we got to sit down with the, with each other down at spring training in the dugout, and we were talking about rule changes. And now with this shortened season, is this the time for baseball to really experiment? Would you, if you were commissioner, throw in a bunch of different ideas and let's just see if it really works? So then if it does work, you can implement it for next year in a full regular season, a full regular season. Well, the trouble is, you know, unions got to sign off on it with all the bitter negotiations. I think that's the last thing they want to do, like to force something down their throat, like the, uh, you know, the, the tiebreaker and extra innings. And I think that's coming one day, maybe starting the 12th inning with the runner on second base, uh, you know, that sort of thing. You know, the, uh, they've already agreed to do the uh, three better minimum for pitchers, you know, that, that comes in effect. 
So I don't think they'll go outside that realm. Uh, be interesting that if they do the extra inning rule this year, you know, they really don't have to because you have, you know, 30 man rosters, at least for the first month of the season. But, you know, as baseball will tell you, and, you know, you agree is of all the four major sports, baseball has the most, you know, boring overtime, so to speak. When, you know, when the ninth inning is done, people, people leave the ballpark, you know, if you, if you go to the 14th or 15th inning, you know, you hear groans and stuff like that in the press box and you see about, you know, a dozen fans left. I'm so glad you said that because, you know, I'll get callers and they'll say, I don't care how long the game goes. I go, well, wait a minute. When this thing hits like the 12th, 13th inning and you're in the middle of the night, nobody's in the ballpark. We we know the ratings. The TV ratings just sink. The radio ratings sink. It's like a, a couple people stay up to watch it. But from a standpoint of attendance and TV and radio, nobody's watching. Nobody's watching. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fans are empty. I mean, everybody gets their own foul ball. Uh, yeah. But where, where the other sports are excited. Oh, my God. Overtime. Everybody stays put. Uh, yeah. That, that ninth inning, if it's, if it's a tie game, boom, fans are done. So, okay. I, I had my share. So I, I, everybody on my show who comes on, they hate the electric strike zone. I, and I go, okay, I understand it. But right now, you're going to, we're taught, we're always, why can baseball come back? Well, it's a social distancing sport. But now you're going to have a batter, a catcher, and an umpire all in this one little space. Has baseball thought, well, maybe that's not a good idea? <laughs> well, I think that's why everybody gets tested and stuff like that. What are you going to do? I mean, you're holding, you know, a uh, guy in first base, the first baseman's holding on, the umpire's right there, too. So, and, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. You know, you're tagging runners and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I think the protocols are pretty strict what they have. So I think they're pretty confident like things, you know, should work out for the best. We'll see. Yeah, I, I got a feeling we're going to see every umpire wearing masks. Oh, yeah, I, I, I do, too. I can, I can see that for sure because uh, you're seeing the other leagues right now. But, yeah, absolutely. Let's end on this. You and I at spring training were talking about the Astros and the vitriol that was coming their way. And you were going to travel around with the Astros at the start of the season. And I, if I could think of any team not having fans in the stands can be a benefit, it's the Astros. Oh, no question about it. Nobody benefits over the uh, shutdown here than the Astros. I mean, the 29 teams combined don't benefit like the Astros. Yeah, they were having a little meltdown in uh, spring training. There were some guys that couldn't handle it and, uh, emotionally. Yeah, no, hey, you're not going to get booed because there's no fans in the stands to boo you. Uh, so, yeah, it's much easier for them to take. You know, and even when their fans do start to come, you know, before the season's out, after what this country's been through, you know, who really cares? Like, you know, it's almost forgotten news. Like, is it sign stealing that really big a thing? So, no, it, they benefit greatly from this. Yeah, and, and they're not going to allow guys like me into their clubhouse to question them about the cheating. We won't get our <laughs> opportunity. No, no, maybe not maybe not for a long time. You're absolutely right. Bob, we always love having you on. I've always appreciated the time over the years. Be safe, and hopefully we'll see you soon. All right, look forward to it. Take care, Chris. The great Bob Nightingale from the USA Today. Think about that. We didn't get to see it. As he said, because he was there in Florida. Their guys were already starting to crack. And, and that was spring training. 
Everybody was coming down their road. And the PR couldn't stop it. You couldn't stop the tsunami. It was coming. And all of a sudden, pandemic, COVID-19, like this wall fell into the ocean and stopped the tsunami. The tsunami was coming. L.A., excuse me, Orange County, Oakland. We were going to hammer them. I couldn't wait to get in that clubhouse. What are they going to do? You can't ask those questions? What am I holding up, Cody? Uh, that I'm number one, as they say. Yeah, the, the old middle finger. That's what you'd be saying to Houston's PR, saying you can't ask those questions. Where are you cheating in 18 and 19, too? Why, why would you cheat and win a World Series and then stop that? That's all Did fair. You, all fair questions. Did you honestly think that players would leave the Astros and never talk about it? These are all fair questions. They were fair game. Can you imagine having to answer those questions and then go out and play a game where everybody's booing you? So you already have this negativity from the press before the game. Then you're going to get hammered once you get out. I mean, Altuve would get booed. Bregman would get booed every single at-bat. We've seen stuff like that, right? When a player pisses off a franchise, excuse my language, and every single time that player touches the ball, the puck, or whatever, they get booed. I've seen that before. Like, you get the ball, the whole stands, boo. You get the puck. I've seen it at the Shark Tank. Boo. Every single at-bat, you're getting booed. And then you get on the flight, and you go to the next city. And then that city's media, I mean, we're we're soft. I mean, we're charming. Let's be honest. But they'd have to go to New York. I was going to say, the, the go, for them heading to, to Yankee Stadium is what I wanted to see more than anything. Oh. I'd almost fly and pay to go to that, to see that. That might be one of those deals where you might have to bring the players out. Like, what happened to the Warriors? So here's what happened to the Warriors. The Warriors got so big that you couldn't fit all the press that was going into their 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 locker room. So they finally went, got smart, and said, okay, you know what we're going to do after every game, no matter what happened, we're going to bring Steph out. We're going to bring bring Draymond out. We're going to bring Clay out. Now, the other players that are not the, the 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 stars, you can go and talk to them in the locker room, but if you want to talk to the big boys, uh, we're going to bring them out to you. I mean, they might have had to done that with the Astros. Cuz the New York cuz every single columnist, every single person that's got an opinion, bloggers, they're all you can't you can only fit so many people in a clubhouse before it starts to get dangerous. So they might have had to just bring out Bregman, bring out Correa, bring out Jose Altuve. And then you got to take the lumps. Because they don't, they're fearless. They're all fighting each other for the story. I would have, I, I, when were they supposed to be in, I'm not going to, Say you should know the schedule, Cody. But when were they supposed to be in New York? Uh, they were supposed to be in New York 
September 21st, 22nd, and 20, four-game series, 21st to the 24th of September. But uh, recently they would have been in, if I, if I looked at this correctly, another major media market that uh, is, is not always kind to everyone. They would have been in uh, – they would be – they would be heading to Boston, or they would have already been in Bo- They would have already been in Boston towards the end of May, so uh, that would have been another media market that uh, would not have been a very kind to them. Although it's interesting because we know what happened in 2018 with the Red Sox, and so that there's that whole story, there's that angle to it. But yeah, New York is the one. That's the that's the media market you want to see them go at them. Like you want to see those writers, those fans, the the vitriol the players had for for them. It, it would have been. Must watch TV, and it's just uh, it's it, the most interesting one is how does Garrett Cole react to it? I mean, I know he wasn't part of the the team in 2017, but he's now on the Yankees. Uh, there's a lot of good storylines involved with all that. Well, Garrett Cole can just go. I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm a pitcher. I don't know what the hell they were doing. I was losing with the Pirates whenever that was going on. So the first road trip, I I I got it. I get you know what. I've got it. I got it. I got it wrong. I always thought they were going to Anaheim first. Oh no, no, no! They're coming to us first. If the schedule would have played, they would have been here. Their first road game would have been Monday, March thirtieth. Three games against the Athletics: thirtieth, thirty-first, and April first. Then they go to Anaheim, third, uh, fourth, and fifth. Man, these cheaters got so lucky. They'd be back in Oakland. On April 23rd, 24th, and 25th, we don't get that. It would be, when did they? Uh, yeah, they would have been in Boston in uh, May May 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Let's see. Back in Oakland on June 19th, 20th, and 21st. That's the first half. You know who could hammer them pretty good too is uh, when they uh, go to our nation's capital. Yeah, that'd be good too. DC, they're they're taking on the uh, taking on the Nats, and then the second half, they start the second half according to the schedule. That will be completely different, but they would have started the second half back in Oakland, set July seventeenth, eighteenth, and nineteenth. And they, and that's it. That's it. We wouldn't see him again. Only one time in the second half. Ah, the Yankees benefit the most for health wise from the pandemic because they were so banged up. And I got to think by July, everybody's got to be healthy by now. Not Severino with the Tommy John, but everybody else has to be healthy. The big maple and his back surgery should be ready to go. I mean, John Carlos Stanton. Who knows? Aaron Judge house and go on the DL. (laughs) Very true. A China doll. It's just funny when you're mentioning the Astros. I want. I was just looking at uh, the the standings for Baseball References simulated season, and the Astros are well. They're still third in the division. I know that that the the fans are affecting them a little bit. You you can't tell me Seattle's still the first place. Seattle Mariners. They're half game ahead of the A's. This thing, if you if you keep this going, you're basically going to have no credibility. Well, if you look at the National League and you end the season today and we have the uh, the seven teams make the playoffs, here's who your playoff teams will be in the National League. 
the Atlanta Braves, Cardinals, and Dodgers would have won their prospective divisions. Then your wild card teams would be the Washington Nationals, the Colorado Rockies. What? Yep. The Pittsburgh Pirates. Stop it. And the Cincinnati Reds would be the teams okay. in the playoffs. Okay, that's two, two of the teams highly questionable. Rockies and Pirates. Everybody else, you can make a case. Yeah. That's right. The American League, Yankees, Indians, Mariners, winning their divisions. And then the the, uh, wildcard teams would be the A's, Twins, White Sox, and Astros. So out of out of all those teams, three are ridiculous. Well, actually, take actually I, I stand corrected. Take the White Sox out. Uh, every team in the AL West would be in the playoffs, except for the uh, the Texas Rangers, because the Angels actually have a better record and winning percentage than the Chicago White Sox. Okay, I I can't buy the three. I can't buy the the. the I mean, you were talking about teams that are in full rebuild mode. Okay. Mariners are in full, not looking to win a game. Pirates, full, full. Re- well, and what was the third ridiculous one? The Rockies. I mean, the Rockies do have some firepower, but but let me tell you, Seattle and Pittsburgh, that that's laughable. They don't even want to win, and you have them winning? Yeah, the, the best team right now in baseball, uh, believe it or not, is the Dodgers. Second best, the St. Louis Cardinals. So those are the two best teams in baseball, followed behind by the Cleveland Indians, who have a little bit a better winning percentage than the Seattle Mariners, who are at forty and twenty-five, a six sixty-one, a six a point six one five winning percentage, a sixty-two percent winning percentage on the year. If you look at Baseball References simulated season. Wait, did you have the Rays in there? Uh, the Rays are 33 and 32. They're just over 500. The Rays are not in the postseason? The Rays are not. The Baby Jays, every other team, it goes Yankees, Rays, and every team in that division is under 500 after that, including the Red Sox. I, I, I don't see that happening. Uh, no, I, th- I, I ultimately still think that the Rays can win the division, especially if the Yankees have injuries still. They're going to challenge for it, but. How could you still have injuries? We haven't played in months. I don't know. We find something new about Aaron Judge every couple days, it seems like. And John, oh, my uh, God. John Carlos Sand got out of bed, and he ha- he's on the injured list. So, it, it, I'm, I'm Aaron, tra- Aaron Judge is going to miss the next two months. He was brushing his teeth. and These uh, guys are soft. We got a, we got a virtual tie in the uh, National League for worst team. Can you guess who they are? Bob Townsend's Padres. That's one. There's Who is the other team tied with them? Why do I think it's not going to be the Miami Marlins? It is not the Miami Marlins. Okay. Uh, the uh, Kevin Franzen's Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies are, are better, too. Think National uh, League Central. I mean, I would have said Pirates, but no. If you're in front office and you want a puppet, you don't hire David Ross. I mean, anyone who knows Rossi knows that. It- there you go. Rossi's in last place? Rossi and the Cubbies are in – they're tied for the worst record in the National League at 25 and 40 with Bob Townsend's San Diego Padres. Worst team in baseball, the Texas Rangers at 18 and 46, followed closely by Detroit, 
Kansas City, and yes, the Baltimore Orioles. We're gonna have to uh, text our good friend Rossi to tell him we got we have support for him after you know bonding with him in San Diego at the winter meetings. Tell him we'll buy him the next beer is on us when we yeah, see him. Next IPA is on us, buddy. Yeah, it's uh, not. Where, look- where, where, where is the winter meetings? Is it in da- Dallas? I want to say this year. Uh, would it be twenty twenty MLB winter meeting? Let's see for Google. I thought I thought it was Dallas. That might that that that, that, that trip. That trip might have been. That's an all-timer for me in my career. When you look at all the guests that we had, everybody in baseball. Including Cashy. I mean, we, we had so many big names came to our table. I mean, I remember when we listed off the names. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Cause you just you just don't get that kind of you you know what it reminded me of doing being on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. That's exactly the done, feel. Huh? That was exactly the feel I was I was going to go for it. It's, it's oh exactly yeah yeah yeah. It, it's it, but but I love baseball more than I love football. So, uh, and you know the difference between the winter meetings and the Super Bowl is the one of the reasons why you get all those guests on Radio Row is because everybody's hawking something i mean they're there because they're they're getting paid and they're being promoted so you always have to do part of your interview you know going like hey uh you're hooking up with pepsi and uh, blah 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 blah. and then you got to talk about pepsi and then they got to tell you what they you know we didn't have to do that we just got to talk about baseball yeah no one was hawking anything i have the list in front of me here's some of the people we had brian kenny uh maddie v bobby evans kevin cash or Cashy, uh, Billy Bean, John Morosi, Bob Melvin was there, Dan O'Dowd, the Mad Dog. That was a really loud conversation. Uh, Marcus Simeon was there. We had Tori Lavallo, the manager of the Diamondbacks, Sandy Alderson, and Gabe Kapler of the San Francisco Giants. Oh, we had more than that. Oh, there's other people too, but I was just looking at the the, the people. Mike Farron was also there. We had Susan Slusser come by. Uh, we had Fossey on the phone, so it doesn't count because Fossey was not there. But uh, if, if fans are looking for something tonight besides what's going on in A's cast, I, I just saw it pop up. On NBC Sports, the uh, Giants and A's face each other in, t- in tonight's MLB The Show simulation. Now, I believe it's on NBC Sports Bay Area. Crook uh, and Kipe have been doing it. They've been simulating games. With, they've been broadcasting who the Giants have been playing. So tonight's A's Giants, if you want to watch a simulation of uh, A's Giants on MLB The Show 20, which is actually pretty cool. The, the Yankees did it a few weeks ago with the uh, Red Sox. So they have Michael Kay and your guy David Cohn on the broadcast. It was uh, a lot of fun to see that. It's give fans some content to kind of take things in right now. Okay, coming up next, former A's pitcher Steve McCaddy and also – We have breaking news, and it's not Major League Baseball. It's another league. We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Live from the CBS Sports Desk, 
in New York, I'm Chris Townsend. Breaking, being reported, NBA Players Association approves plan to resume season at Disney World. Sets plan for coronavirus testing. The NBA is coming back after the league's owners approved a plan to finish the remainder of the 2019-20 season at Disney World in Orlando. During Thursday's Board of Governors call, and the NBA, oh, the MBPA followed suit and approved the plan on Friday. It announced in a statement the players' rep vote was unanimous, according to The Athletic. The owners received a 29-to-1 vote from the owners on the call, with the Portland Trailblazers reportedly being the only holdout. Why would they not want to play? There was something uh, about their – I saw something on Twitter about it, but it was something about the, the season, and Dame Lillard had comments earlier saying how he didn't want to play. If the season didn't mean anything, he would sit out. I, I don't know if that ties into it, but – they were the only one in all 28 player members of the uh, the NBA's Players uh, Association. They all agreed on the on the call. I have more news on it. Uh, according to Shams, we got a Shams bomb. If you're into the Woj or Shams, uh, who breaks the bigger stories, uh, Shams is saying that family limit for NBA players in Orlando will be three will be three people, with some exceptions, and also players and their families won't be allowed to go on park rides while staying at the Disney World campus. So you won't be seeing LeBron James and his family riding rides at Disney World when they're down there. Oh, guys, it's not that. I mean, I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids. But if I had to be away from them for a little bit and we just Zoomed or Google Meets and I got to see him, I mean, when we go to Japan, how long are we gone? Like 11, 12 days or something like that? I mean, I went on vacation with them, and then I was down at spring training for how many days? Like 10, 11 days? You were there for a while. We went to Vegas first, then Arizona. Yeah. (laughs) Vince Catronio lives in Gilbert, Arizona. That's where his wife is. And kids. Two of them are older now. There's one still in high school. Ken Korak lives in Vegas. His wife stays in Vegas. These guys, during the baseball season, do not see their significant others for a while. It sucks and it's hard, but that happens with quite a few people. You know, broadcasters, players. And let's face it. If you make your home in Florida and your kids are in school in Florida, but you play for, wait for it, the Seattle Mariners, you know, as your kids get, I mean, when you have babies, yeah, you can move babies all around. But you got kids that got to be in school. They're not showing up until school's over. And then maybe they got stuff. Maybe they've got, you know, all kids have stuff going on now, or they always have. But now they, you know, you know, they have to save in Florida because whatever they're doing is in Florida and you're playing in for the Seattle Mariners. So people are away from their families in sports. It's part of the gig. Let's get this thing going. 
All right, there was recently a deep dive, Cody. You can you can talk to this about the early '80s A's and their 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 five aces that were on Sports Illustrated. They threw a tremendous amount of innings, a tremendous amount of pitches, and there is some belief that this affected these guys' career. Yeah, so Alex Coffey from The Athletic wrote this article about the, the A's in 1980 with Billy, with Billy Martin and Billy Ball. And they went, after going 54-108 and 108 in 1979, they went 83-79 and 79 in 1980. The A's bullpen in 1980 was 4-12 with a 5-2-2 ERA, which was last in the league. Their starters went 79-67 and 67 with a 3-20 ERA, which was tied with the Houston Astros for the best starters ERA in baseball. Now, the rotation of Rick Langford, Mike Norris, Matt Keough, Steve McCaddy, and Brian Kingman led the way with, wait for it, 94 complete games that season. Wait a minute, what is that? What, 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 what do you – that's when is, I, that, is that a new stat or something? It's I, I believe it's when you start a game and you pitch the entire game and you don't come out. So that year, Mike Norris went twenty. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's hard because uh, as I think I broke it down in baseball last year, where there were a total of forty-five complete games in twenty nineteen by starting pitchers. The NL leader was uh, was two. One of them was Walker Bueller. The AL leader in complete games was three. It was Lucas Giolito and Shane Bieber tied at three. The A's had one perf- or one complete game last year. It was Mike Fires' no-hitter versus the Reds. So it's, coming, it's, it's like finding Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's, it's a dinosaur. Essentially, and in, in, so I went to some even more research. Mike Norris went 22-9 and with a 2.53 ERA and finished second in the Cy Young voting behind Steve Stone when he hadn't beaten literally every category. And Felty told me that three people from different cities left Norris off the, their ballot completely in that year. So the record still stands of the 94 complete games. The next closest, I went back and looked, from 1960 to 2019 is the 1968 Giants, who had 77 complete games. Then in 1981, the A's had 60 complete games in the uh, strike-shortened season, where Steve McCaddy finished second in the Cy Young voting that year as well to Raleigh Fingers, um, who I believe won the – Did he what year did he win the MVP? And, was that the year he won the MVP and the Cy Young, or did he win in 82 also? No, the year the year he won the MVP, he won the Cy Young. Yeah, he won both. Yeah, so he see McCaddy finished second. So that that ace team that had ninety four complete games in nineteen eighty had sixty the following year, and then the A's in twenty nineteen had one. So we got a chance to hook up with Steve, and he's back in Michigan as he left spring training. And here is my conversation with the former Athletics pitcher, Steve. Thank you so much for coming on A's Cast Live. It's great to hear your voice. Well, it's, it's really nice to be on. I, I appreciate it. Uh, good to be able to talk to some people out in the Bay Area. One of my favorite, if not my favorite place in the world, and um, certainly miss being out there. You know, they re- recently the Athletic did a deep dive on your guys' pitching staff back in the day, and uh-huh. it, it's truly amazing if you're a, if you're a young baseball fan and, and you're reading about what you got, the five aces – my, I mean, the complete games, the innings pitched, what a different time it was back then to where we are today. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I tell everybody, you know, I haven't been in the game a long time and still having gone to spring training and everybody, you know, when they 
introduce the staff. They get up and say things about uh, the complete games and all that stuff. And I sit there and say, oh, my God, you know, that's really good. But I'm glad Ferguson Jenkins and guys like that aren't sitting in this room with me right now because what we did doesn't sound like it was as much as they did. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We did a lot of things and probably a lot of uh, all the analytics and everything they're trying to do to protect everybody in this game is probably our fault. So when you look back at that time, you know, it's like you took the ball and you're you're not thinking that someone's warming up in the bullpen in the sixth inning, the seventh inning. Tell me just what that mindset was for all you guys. Well, again, you're right. It was a different time in the era. You know, everybody, when you started, it was like, okay, you're going to pitch nine innings. That was the goal. We didn't have pitch counts, although, you know, our follower would keep a clicker and we knew how many pitches we threw, but your your job was to go nine innings, you to get a win for the club. Yeah, we all figured that even if you lost, if you were in the game for nine innings, you had to have done something and kept the, the team in the game. But you know, when we were at home, it was nine, and you you wanted to, that that's what you were brought up to do. That's what you were trained to do in the minor leagues. You know, we've gone through uh, all the 70s teams with the A's, the great teams uh, that won the World Series, 72, 73, 74, and how the teams were wild, you know. You're taking on the Reds in 72. It's the Hares versus the Squares. It it was a pretty (laughs) fun group. And then the A's end up having some really bad teams. And then here you guys start coming up here in the late 70s and the early 80s, and you got Billy Martin, and you're winning again, and it's a little crazy again. Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I was in the minor leagues when they started winning uh, the World Series. Uh, so I got there in 72 or 73. So that's just the way we were trained. You know, we knew those guys up there were wild. They were different. They had mustaches. In the minor leagues, we grew mustaches, or we did the best we could. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, I guess it was just brought brought up that way to be the, you know, the wild swinging A's and just have that mentality. And, then in the middle part there, when they started having free agency and uh, some players left, it was tough with Charlie because, you know, he didn't have the money and not able to uh, pay the big bucks. And uh, eventually he got Billy to come in and uh, a bunch of young guys that had done well enough or whether it was by attrition in the big leagues got an opportunity to get there. And with his attitude and, and then, you, you know, everybody talks about us, but you got to remember we threw Ricky Henderson in the outfield, Dwayne Murphy. Tony Armas, we had journeyman players all over the place. And Billy's attitude was, you know, take no prisoners. And, and we loved it. It was it was a blast. You know, I think about Billy Martin and what a, what a baseball career. Uh, just, I mean, dysfunctional at times, mixed in with greatness. What was it like playing for him? It was uh it was a blast. Uh, the first year was really tough. It was tougher, uh, you know, for you know Billy had this thing. If he knew who you were, he liked veteran guys, so he was familiar with Rick Lankford and Keo and and Norris. Seventy uh, nine, I can't remember if he was with the Yankees or not. Uh, I think he was, and then he got fired. But he didn't really see myself or Kingman pitch, and so he was tougher on myself and Brian than the other three guys at first, and he would let them. Uh, go a little bit further in the game than us. Uh, but then uh, eventually he kind of gave in to me and Kinger and just let us go out and, and, and pitch like everybody else. But it was, uh, it could be really tough. He could make life miserable for you. But 
also it could be just absolutely great too. You know, so much of health in sports is is a part of your DNA. And, you know, we've had guys who have perfect deliveries. They end up getting hurt. They don't have long careers. You got guys who have other deliveries you may not teach, and they last forever. So part of this article, they, 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 they wonder if the amount of the workload that you guys had, did it really affect you guys all long term? Um. Uh, you know, that's been a question we've been asked for, you know, almost 40 years now, and uh, and our names always come up. I, I know that Mike Norris in, uh, what, 82, we had a fight with Seattle, got knocked down on the mound, fell down on the dirt, and he tore a muscle, and when it grew back, it trapped a nerve, and he had problems with his feeling. Uh, Keo slipped on a rainy mound in Baltimore and had a slight tear in his rotator cuff. Uh, Rick Langford, uh Eventually, you know, just throwing a lot of sliders and things, his elbow pop. And myself, I had a, I didn't get diagnosed till after I was done. And, and the medical treatment at that time was just starting to get better. And uh, they weren't able to really find that. And I had that corrected after I was done playing. I've never had a problem with it. And uh, Kingman, he hurt his back. <laughs> he was, I guess he was surfing in Hawaii in the offseason between 81 and 82 and hurt his back. Billy and he had always had their difficulties. So in 82, uh, he was, uh, he was in the doghouse again. So, uh, I don't, you know, you, I don't think it was the Yanks. Cause like I say, when you talk about Ferguson Jenkins and Catfish Hunter and all these other guys that, uh, put up these amazing numbers, um, they always threw a lot of innings and, it, you know, didn't seem to bother them. It was more just of, uh, the publicity. And then when something happened, it got blown up. I, I, I know a, basically came to a head when Tony Kubek was doing the game of the week and he said burn, Billy was going to burn us out. And uh, then I think Billy was even more determined to prove uh, Kubek wrong. And uh, But I can't really say it was overuse. Uh, uh, just kind of freaky things happened. And, and uh, that medical treatment now would probably have taken care of everything. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. I, I wouldn't do it any differently after seven innings. I could never take myself out of the game. So, uh, you know, I would do it all over again. You know, so so sorry that we, we lost Matt last May uh, at the age of 64. Just just too young to, to go. Very sad that we lost him. Yeah, it was. It was terrible. Uh, Steve Lucidich, uh the clubhouse uh guy with the AZ had been there forever. I've got to just think of how long I've known Boos. It's almost 50 years. And uh, he gave me a call and, and we talked and, and finally then I talked to a few other people. I talked to Mike Doris about, uh, I don't know, a little uh, two weeks ago. And, and uh, you know, Matt was always in great shape. He's just one of those guys where I was always the bigger, sloppier looking guy, I guess. And, and Matt was always in great shape. And uh, when I heard the news of what happened, it was like, wow, this is just, uh, it's really kind of, it's shocking. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to miss him. We had a, you know, he, he was like a brother. We had a lot of good times. We played together, you know, in the minor leagues when he was an infielder still pitched with him in the big leagues. We went to winter ball together. And uh, my wife, Audrey, and I were talking about it down in winter ball, Puerto Rico. God, he was over all the time. We'd always go to we just do it. We did a lot of stuff together. So have a, you know, when it happened to Matt, it's like, you know, it's, so it's kind of like a shock to your system. Uh, it certainly wouldn't have been, uh, 
been him that I thought it was going to happen to, but uh, it's it's a shame. You know, when Ricky Henderson comes up and you see Ricky, did you know, like, right away, this guy's going to be a star? Oh, yeah. Well, you, you, I mean, yeah, I, I never played. I played when I was in 79. I was, I was in the AAA a little bit. We were together, and that's the first chance I had to see him. I think he stole 110 bases in the Cal League the year before or whatever. So, yeah, we knew he was really good, but uh, saw him a little bit, and then he got to the big leagues. This is, he had so much talent. Uh, that he could probably have done whatever he wanted to. If he would have wanted to hit number three or four, he would. He could hit twenty to thirty home runs and drive in over a hundred runs. But just a uniquely talented guy, and you could, you know, you you knew he was a superstar from the day you really got a chance to watch him play. You know, you're working for the White Sox now, and they've made uh, some really good moves. Have some players who are starting to blossom have some really young players that are going to come up and be what we think is pretty special. And they've kind of been a chic pick by a lot of people. And we start talking about a short season. I just got a feeling that a short season plays well for teams that, you know, may struggle if you have 162 games. What kind of shot do you give the White Sox in a shortened season? Uh, I definitely give him a, a, a good shot. As far as hitting, it's like it's like anything else in baseball. Uh, if you have pitching, you're going to have a chance. Lucas Cialito, he's really come on strong. Their pitching and is is good, and as long as they you know keep them in games, they're obviously they're going to have a chance because they can flat out hit. I mean, they they these young guys that they have, Moncada. Um, I mean, and, and the other guys, they're really impressive. So uh, if the pitching can hold up, like anybody, but I would definitely not consider myself after watching these guys as being dark horses. It's just if you have pitching, you got a chance. And the game's going to be completely different now just from the fact that it's going to be more of a sprint and not the marathon. So, And if they expand the rosters and do all the things they're able to do, you're going to see a lot of pitching changes. And uh, these guys are going to score some runs, but they, they really have a, a talented, talented club. It, it's really a, it's really fun to see these kids uh, having matured, uh, getting a year in the big leagues, and uh, they're, they're going to be pretty, pretty special. Uh, uh, Robert, uh, this, this kid's got unbelievable talent, and uh, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, let's end on this. You know, we think Cleveland is still going to be pretty good. And then, my God, all the home runs that the Twins hit, and they add Josh Donaldson. I mean, yep. wow. I, the Central is going to be – it's going to be it, it's going to be fascinating to watch this thing play out in a shortened season. Oh, it is. But, I mean, you know, White Sox, they got Jimenez. They got Abreu. They got Robert. They got uh, Tim Anderson, who led the league in hitting. And, and uh, they, they, they have – I mean, they really have a – a really talented team, and it's been, you know, overshadowed from the fact, kind of like uh, maybe uh, the way we were in, uh, with the A's, uh, all of a sudden, oh, they're all right, and boom, when the pitching came through, because uh, with Ricky and Murph and those guys, Tony, we were good, but I think hitting-wise, this, this club is, you know, offensively a much better club than we were that way, uh, but uh, just overall through the lineup, but uh, there's 
there's really a lot of talent in the White Sox organization. Yeah, it's going to be fun once we get this thing going. So stay safe there in Michigan. We always appreciate the time, and we'll talk to you once we start playing baseball once again. Well, I can't wait to get back, and thanks for giving me a call. It's uh, nice to talk to some people from the Bay Area. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. He was in his backyard playing with his dog. (laughs) Former A great. Coming up next, we're going to have the former general manager of the San Francisco Giants, Bobby Evans. So we'll get into labor talk, and we'll also get into, if you remember, he's been trying to help out with baseball in Egypt. We'll get an update next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. All righty, Bobby Evans is going to join us coming up here in a few moments. A lot to get into with him. And last time we talked to him, he was helping out with starting baseball in Egypt. And it was a fascinating story. Who was the guy he was working with that we also interviewed? Uh, Kemp Golden. Golden was his name. Kemp Golden. I mean, it was like, wow, baseball in Egypt? I guess they, uh, they've got a lot of terrific athletes over there and that the kids are picking it up quickly. I mean, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't know if the pandemic has shut it down. Um, but, yeah, I mean, think about it. Did we ever think, you know, at one point there's going to be a, a Canadian who plays at the big leagues or – Someone from Australia plays in the big leagues or or Korea or China or Japan. I mean, I don't know what people thought before we were born about players from all over the world. But, I mean, it's a world game. And even now, more recently, we've seen players like Max Kepler, who's from Germany, playing in Major League Baseball for the Minnesota Twins. It's becoming more and more of a... A global game, and that's that's good. And you can see baseball is kind of growing. And and uh, the the program that Kemp runs is called Because Baseball. And I remember we talked to him at the winter meetings that we talked after we talked to Bobby, and it was fascinating to hear about how kids in Egypt and even in India. We saw the the movie Million Dollar Arm, but we saw before that when the Pirates signed a couple uh, players um, prospects from over in India. So they're they're the popularity of baseball, you know, is catching on hopefully more and more, and we're seeing more younger you know, younger kids and teenagers playing it, and hopefully it'll continue to grow and help grow the game globally, which is something that uh, the sport needs more and more. I wonder if Tony Clark and Rob Manfred are really paying attention to the other sports. I don't know. I, I, I think the easy answer would be yes. I mean, don't they have to look at it and go, oh, my God, the NBA is going to start. Oh, my God, the NFL is going to start. I mean, or are they just in their their own baseball world that whatever anybody else does, they, they don't pay attention? But it is always an honor to have on a three-time World Series champion. He's been one of the top executives in all the game of baseball. And we got a chance to check in with him in San Diego at the winter meetings. Bobby Evans is with us once again. Bobby, how are you? Hey, good afternoon, guys. We're, we're doing okay. We'd love to see baseball, but we are doing okay in the meantime. 
Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, you've been through this. You've been in the game for so many years. Uh, you, you know the finances of the game, and that that's really where we are at right now. Because the NBA is saying we're going to start up. Hockey is saying we're going to start up. The PGA Tour, NASCAR, football is going to go to training camp. They're going to be ready to go. H- how do we get this thing started? Because we need baseball to help us heal. Yeah, I think we. I think the good news is you have two parties, both on the owner side and the player side, that want to get baseball going again. I think that the challenge, of course, is you know this agreement that they made back in March didn't you know didn't you know address the what ifs on on fans or, or other economic pieces. So now we've got a dispute that you know they've somehow got to find a way to reconcile. And I've seen that 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 disparity you know, is, is fairly large, of course, but it also in the grand scheme of things is a small amount of money that they can compromise on that hopefully gets baseball back and allows us to, you know, see baseball not only this year, but, you know, into the postseason. There's just a lot of different issues though. I mean, these are complicated from, you know, the timing. I mean, I think the, the players, you know, are very concerned about the length of the season. You know, owners are very concerned about not being able to get in a postseason in case there's a you know, a, a, a difficulty containing the virus come the fall. So there's a lot of issues. They're not all just economic, but clearly they all have a, a centerpiece of, of disparity relative to the money. So when you talk about the television money, is it does it really come in for teams during the playoffs? Well, I think that, there, you know, every, every team has their local uh, television deal. But, you know, there's also the national television deal, which is, is fairly lucrative during the season. But there's no doubt that the, the postseason, I mean, we, I've seen numbers, you know, they're not, they're, they're not necessarily at, but they are certainly approaching, you know, close to a billion dollars worth of, of revenue potential in a postseason. And so, you know, I think that's a lot of money to leave on the table. And I think that's enough incentive to imagine that these two sides are going to come to an agreement. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, your national deals are obviously much much more enhanced by your postseason. You know, one of the things in the NFL, because the Green Bay Packers are owned by the city of Green Bay, so people are able to look into the NFL numbers. We on the outside don't get to look into the baseball numbers. But so Darren Ravel tweeted that for like the NFL, like 70% of everything they make is based off television. So the majority of the money the NFL makes is off TV. So, so how much in baseball are, are the owners going to be losing without having fans in the stands? Well, I think that varies, of course, from club to club. I mean, you, you know, one, one thing that's not talked a lot about is the amount of revenue that's being lost by the, the low-revenue clubs. I mean, you know, clubs are being supplemented by the, by the revenue sharing of, you know, 25, 30, 35, 40-plus million dollars. And, and that's basically, there's no revenue sharing this year now. And so the, those clubs that are dependent upon that revenue sharing, that's a lot of money out the door just from the get-go. Uh, obviously, that's in some ways you could say is uh, a savings for those larger market teams, but they don't have the revenue to share, so they're not saving money either. And I've seen numbers as large as almost $400 million for a, a team like the New York Yankees. And again, we don't have the visibility to have you know access to that publicly in terms of the actual numbers, but we see those those numbers uh, described as significant. And, you know, ultimately the dependence upon the fans at the stadium, you know, I've seen, you know, numbers in the 30% to 40% range for baseball. And that doesn't surprise me, but, 
I don't think it's just ticket sales. I mean, obviously, if you're a sponsor and you have an advertisement on the wall or advertisements on the scoreboard that fans are not attending those games, and you know you get the benefit of of, of whatever those advertisements are shown on TV, but you don't get the benefit of you know thirty thousand fans looking at it every night. You know, I think about a shortened season. I got a feeling that you know when, when the players say one fourteen, and then now the owners say fifty ish. I got this feeling we're going to meet in the middle around 82, but whatever it is, it's a shortened season. You've built rosters that have won World Series. You know how to do this. Uh, what do you think it's like for the front office when you're going to have a, a shortened season building the roster for it's not for the long haul, it's not a marathon, this is going to be a sprint? Well, it's important to get off to the right start. I mean, you've got to get off to a good start. I mean, if you get off to the start that like the Nationals did last year, you won't even make the playoffs because you've got a much shorter season. And whether it's 50 games or 82 games, either way, the Nationals don't even make the postseason. So I think every club is under pressure to get off to a good start. And, you know, that means, you know, making sure your guys are ready and in shape and you've got a strategy, uh, depending on what your schedule looks like, on how to do that early on because you, you're not going to have an easy way to catch up. Yeah, and I got to think managing is going to be <laughs> making these decisions, knowing that, my God, we can't lose any games. Well, yeah, I mean, early on, you're going to really be under pressure to get off to a good start. And I think that, you know, that part of that's going to be, you know, uh, why you, you'll see the best roster, you know, from day one. And, you know, whether, you know, whether you're, you're thinking about, uh, you know, how large these rosters are. I mean, some of that's going to be an expanded roster, which will be at a benefit. I mean, obviously, if you're a National League club, you're probably looking at a DH, which for some clubs will be an advantage. For some clubs, it won't be an advantage. They don't have, you know, that, that guy on that, on that roster right now. And so that may have to come through, through some waiver or trade. I don't know how much clubs are going to be willing to, you know, to, to make changes to their roster um, because basically everybody's got a chance for a short schedule. So, I don't think you're going to want to count yourself out too early. Yeah, everybody's got a puncher's chance, and that's why it's going to be fascinating. And I talked to Bob Nightingale, who you know from USA Today, earlier, and we were talking about realignment. And baseball over the years has really looked at this. They've made some changes, but the fact that West Coast teams travel far more than East Coast teams, that's definitely a competitive advantage. And, and, and I think about from rivalries, if you had the Giants and the A's and the Dodgers and the Angels and the Padres and like the Mariners all in one division, less flying. Plus, I know that when the Giants come over, our attendance goes up. Dodgers come up here, our attendance goes up. You know, people don't care about the Texas Rangers. And I think for the Giants, you know, the, 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 Colorado, the Colorado Rockies, I just if we could get more West Coast teams playing, wouldn't that be better for our franchises? Well, I mean, the, the travel schedule for these players is, you know, especially when you're trying to play 162 games in 183 days, which is what the long time, long time is what it's been. They, they added a few days to the schedule this last year, but that's a lot of games. There's not enough off days, especially when four of them were lumped together at the All-Star break. So you're, you're really pressed uh, to get to get your uh, guys uh, some rest. And, yeah, I, I, you know, I at some level, from a fan experience perspective, I mean, you know, the fans are going to show up you know, a lot more for, you know, for, you know, road teams that are popular. And so if you're, if you're the, you know, in the national league, you know, and you're losing the Dodgers, for example, now the giants of course wouldn't cause we're West coast, West coast, but if you're the Cubs, you don't want to lose the Dodgers or the giants, you know, you want to make sure you're getting to see them at least their one trip in a year. And if, if you were some reason able to see it more that you would, you'd take it. In in our case, 
you know, if we see, if we see, uh, you know, a lot more of the Seattle Mariners or a lot more of the Padres and a lot less of, of our division rival, the Dodgers, that would be very debilitating and disappointing. Um, that said, you know, we see how popular the Bay Bridge games are. I don't know how popular they are if they're happening 18 times a year, um, but they're certainly popular happening six times a year. Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a wild ride, and who knows? I mean, would this be you know if you have if you're Rob Manfred and you have a lot of ideas of how you'd like to change the game, would this be the time to throw in some changes to see if they work for the future? If they work, you keep them. If they don't, you scratch it. Well, I think that's why you're seeing the playoff format with 14 teams. I mean, I think that's one of the things that this is an opportunity to test it. Uh, you know, especially with a shortened schedule, you have more teams that are going to get a chance to to, to make the postseason. Uh, so that's an example, the DH at some level, you might say that's a permanent change, but at some level, it could also just be a temporary change that you, you measure out and see the feedback and see the response. And, and there'll be other things. I mean, whether you go with an electronic strike zone or, uh, you know, maybe I don't think they're going to do this in this, in this session of, of a season, but you, you know, if you're worried about your pitching, you could start extra innings with a runner on second, not, not one of my favorite things, but it's certainly something that they talk about in, any of that could be applied to try to shorten the length of games. You know, the fact that it's a shorter schedule, you have a, you hopefully will have a chance to keep guys healthier. You know, when we talked to you in San Diego, it really was fascinating about how you're helping bringing baseball to Egypt and that they've got some terrific athletes and you actually could see at some point an Egyptian born major league baseball player. I'm not sure where it's going right now with the pandemic, but give us an update how it's working. Well, you know, right as the right as the spring training uh, camps closed, I mean, we we were right in the the opening of what would have been the spring season in in Cairo, and so we had to really shorten the 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 time span significantly, and and now you know when, when schools closed, I mean, some of the some of the uh, instruction is happening through the local school system, so you know it's definitely hit a snag in in terms of the spring season but we'll get we hope to get back strong in the fall we you know there's a lot of cooperation potential through major league baseball and you know it's it's you know major league baseball has recognized it as an RBI program um, over there and so there's support that's coming from a lot of different sources i know a number of major league clubs including the giants have helped support the effort and it's fascinating to see young people playing a game that they've they've hardly ever seen on TV, much less played. And so now they're, they're picking up on the, the nuances and, and, you know, these are young kids that many of whom are very good athletes that have speed, they have arm strength, they have, you know, uh, potential. And so it only takes one to really break the ice. And ironically, one of the fields we were playing on, you know, uh, over there is, is, is at a school, local international school where, you know, ironically, Steve Kerr, you know, played high school basketball. So it was, it's a small world in the end. Let's end on this. Everybody. And I've been asking most of my guests, everybody's doing a deep dive on something, whether it's a TV series, a book series, what's Bobby Evans been doing since we haven't had baseball. <laughs> wow. You know, I, I, that's a great question. I mean, I I've enjoyed, you know, just the time I, I feel like in some ways I've, I've been in, uh, uh, in the, uh, shelter in place for about 18 months but you know the uh the chance to do things with my kids that you know they don't have school they don't have ball games they don't have places they have to go so we're able to to do things that you know we we maybe occasionally would get a chance to do like simple things like go ride a bike i mean we're able to do that pretty near 
you know, multiple times a week, you know, and, and we're able to go out and play catch and do things that we take for granted um, that, you know, in, and when the busyness of schedules, you don't have time to do, but it's, it's been, uh, you know, reconnecting with a lot of people who, you know, you, you see the, I've had my share of zoom calls, you know, but you, you reconnect with people from a distance and it's, it's not the same. There's a, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of hungry people for, for time out of the house. And I, I look for my opportunities. I make, uh, I, I do all the grocery runs. You know, I, my wife's more important than I am. If I get sick, they can replace me, but they can't replace her. So, um, so we try, I try to at least contribute in that way. I got to tell you, Bobby, I ride my, my, my bike every single day. I'm riding my bike like I'm 12, 13 years old. That's how much I'm riding my bike. <laughs> well, you know, it it's, feels a lot safer out there because there's not as many cars. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Bobby, so much respect, and it's always great having you on. Be well, be safe, and hopefully we'll get this baseball season going again, and we'll talk soon. I look forward to it. Thank you, guys. Bobby Evans, three-time World Series champion as an executive, twice assistant GM, one time as the GM. Riding bikes, baby. That's what we're doing. I ride 13 miles a day. I got a, I got, I got a set track. You may see me on the uh, Los Gatos Creek Trail. That's where I am. That's where I'll be after the show. I was going to say, uh, when are you going to make your way over here? You know, we, we've been waiting for you. Yeah, you 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 guys are a little dicey down there. Oh, we're good. They we're opening stuff up. It's like the bars we usually go to down in uh, San Pedro Square. They now are open for outdoor dining because today was the first day you can do that here in Santa Clara County. So I saw some well, pictures about let it me, already. We talked about this at the, at the beginning of the show. So after you tell me things have calmed down, calmed down in downtown San Jose, I contacted my buddy who's uh, San Jose PD, and he said the last two nights have been much better. That, that's good because, like, where I'm at, like I said, I'm, like, I would say probably a mile or maybe a less than a mile from downtown. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a stone's throw away from the Shark Tank, but, like, where I'm at is by the Alameda. And uh, the Al- and it's been pretty calm over where we're at. And, you know, I haven't been downtown. In a, I mean, even before, like, even since the pandemic, so I don't think I've been downtown at all uh, because I don't go anywhere. And downtown's so close. So I might start venturing down on walks and stuff and – now that some of those bars are open for outdoor dining, I pose a great question. Do we want? I wonder when uh, the Whole Foods is going to open with the bar because it's outdoor seating. So when is that going to happen? Because then we can go there eventually. Yeah, but well, that place is so small. I mean, if we all have to be six feet away from each other, you'll be able to fit like five people up there. That That's true. I guess if you're in the same household, you can sit together, but obviously you are not in the same household as – Dina and myself, so yeah, we'd have to sit separately, which is unfortunate, but it'd be good to see people face-to-face again, which is what we're getting closer and closer to doing, which is nice. Well, I was riding over to see you, so we got a little face-to-face, but then uh, it's, it's, I don't know if I want, I, I gotta, to, for me to get to you, I have to be on very busy streets. And uh, I'm kind of a, I don't think I'm ready for that. I'm happy to go back streets to the Los Gatos Trail. I feel a little safer that way. That makes sense. And the one thing I was going to say with Bobby, and I'm glad we got to have him, is uh, a little disappointed you didn't you didn't ask him about our guy Buster Posey. But I mean, he's obviously going to say yes. He's a Hall of Famer. He helped in develop him, draft him. Uh, did I send you that, or did you send you, me that? You sent it to me. But it's always a 
besides us arguing about wins, uh, Buster Posey's a Hall of Famer is usually one of the most uh, interesting debates because we both don't think he's a Hall of Fame caliber. Uh, and I went back and looked at his draws. That's Jay Jaffe's system of uh, his his career numbers and his best seven year stretch. And it's um it's interesting because the guys he's behind. I think he's ninth right now. He is he's actually sixteenth in. Jaws, which is a combination of career and the best seven-year peak of their war totals, you know, along for comparison to average Hall of Famers by position. His war over his best seven-year run is 36.6, which is ninth all-time. Every other guy ahead of him besides Joe Maurer and Thurman Munson are in the Hall of Fame. So, Well, this article, this article talks about, you know, a, kind of a lost season for certain people. You know, it's because in the end, your career's over, you get five years, and then people start really doing a deep dive on your numbers. And this is, you know, this is going to be a lost year of production. Now, if you get half a season, great. If you get less than half a season, you're not going to hit that many home runs. You're not going to get that many RBIs, runs scored. You know, it, 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 it's going to affect your totals. Had Joe Morgan on the program years ago, and Joe Morgan said, you're regular, because because so many times people want to go, well, look at he did in the, in the postseason. Joe Morgan always said, your regular season numbers are what gets you into the Hall of Fame. That's the cake. The icing is what you do in the postseason. Otherwise, Kurt Schilling would have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. Guy's 11-2 and two with an under-3 ERA in the postseason. He was a monster in the postseason. And I think he's finally going to get in this year. Uh, you know, P- Posey was not, as we've gone over it, he was not great in the postseason offensively. And his regular season numbers, I mean, he's not even going to sniff a 1,000 RBIs. He doesn't have the home runs, doesn't have the RBIs. He's got a pretty good batting average. So if he, you know, and he's going to be one year older, and here's Joey Bart. Joey Bart's got to play. Where are you going to put him? I mean, it's, I don't know. But the other thing is people are trying to make it the Hall of Good and not the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's going to be people getting put in. I mean, for example, like there, most people don't think Harold Baines is a Hall of Famer. Now that's a veteran veterans committee deal. I don't know. I don't have a vote, sadly enough. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, writers. Well, it, well, before we get to um, – Buying or selling, I will say, Buster. But the one thing that helps Buster Posey over the last couple of years is his defensive run saved. Is he was third in baseball last year in DRS, and he's sixth overall in the last three years, which helps because he's great as a defensive catcher and leading a pitching staff. But the offensive numbers have not been there. Yeah, he had a, he had the injuries, and he's getting older, and he has a lot of innings, you know, a lot of innings behind the plate. But uh, we'll see, we'll see where he is. He is a, his WAR is still like forty two career, and you look at like sixty as a threshold for a Hall of Famer. So. I mean, maybe he has a couple huge offensive seasons and it puts him in. What? I, what? I, I don't think so, but I guess we'll find out. But I wanted to, there's a couple things in buying or selling that I wanted to get to, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit it. 
It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Well, as you know, after we're over, you can catch uh, the A's 68th win on August 11, 2019 versus the Chicago White Sox on the south side in Chicago. Chris Bassett won seven scoreless innings on the south side to pick up his eighth win of the year, and Liam Hendricks collected his 12th save in the A's victory on the south side. Matt Olson hit his 23rd home run of the season, which was great because the A's needed the offense in that game on the south side. Now, south side starter Lucas Giolito went six innings, allowing two runs and struck out 13 A's in the game in the White Sox defeat on the south side to the Oakland A's. I don't know if you noticed what I was doing, but I tried to drop in as many south sides as I could Correct. doing that. So what I want you to do is we play this game. How many times will Ken and Vince say South Side of Chicago when they're on the South Side of Chicago in a three or four game set? I think the last time we played this game, I had the over and under at 30. They blew by it. I think they doubled it. It was in the 60s, as Robert Costa told us. <laughs> All right, so first one on June 4, 2016. So yesterday, four years ago, something good finally happened for Bob Townsend's Padres. They made a trade. Now that. They've made some bad trades in their franchise history. Uh, you would know. Bob would know. Padre fans would know. Uh, there's the Adrian Gonzalez trade when they got rid of him, Anthony Rizzo, um, when they traded Ozzy Smith, when they traded Corey Kluber, and I guess some can argue when they traded Roberto Alomar and Joe Carter. But in 2016, they traded James Shields to the, to the White Sox on the south side for Fernando Tatis Jr. Now, other notable trades that the Padres made were Gary Sheffield for Trevor Hoffman, uh, the trade to acquire Kevin Brown, which helped them in the 98 World Series. And when they got Ken Caminiti from the Houston Astros and Greg Vaughn. Buying or selling the James Shields trade will go down as the greatest trade in Padres franchise history. Ooh. I, I'm, I, I'm selling that. Gonna- Trevor Hoff, the Hall of Famer. I mean, the way people are touting uh, Tatis Jr., he's already in the I Hall of Famer. You, I hear you, <laughs> but you got a Hall of Famer. Guy's second all-time in saves. I mean, Tatis Jr.'s got a long way to go to be oh, yeah. Trevor Hoffman. Well, it's recency bias is what, what I do best. So uh, yes. I'm, I'm with you. I sell, too. I, I would go with Hoffman, but I think that the Tatis Hoffman. Jr. trade will be, uh, will be a good one uh, going forward and look back on as a good one. So the KBO season is doing well and going strong. Matt Williams and his Kia Tigers are 15 and 13. Dan right. Stradley is third in the league in strikeouts. The K-Man. Roberto Ramos, who was who couldn't make the major league roster after leading the minors or the Rockies in home runs, has 12 homers in 27 games, while another former Major League Baseball star is looking into the Korean baseball organization. That'd be the Dark Knight and former A, Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey spent the 2019 season with the Angels and in AAA in Las Vegas for the A's last year. He's represented by Scott Boris, friend of the program, and has been trying and Boris has been trying to find Harvey a job. Now Harvey's been staying in shape and by throwing bullpens in case an opportunity arises. Now Boris Corporation has a full-time employee working in Korea as well. I got all these st- stats courtesy of our friend Daniel Kim over in South Korea. Buying or selling, Matt Harvey will be pitching in the KBO this summer. Who cares? I'm not buying or selling either of those. Who cares? The Dark Knight. You want to talk about a guy that's tone deaf and 
and it isn't very good anymore. Boy, did boy, he went from being a superstar to can't even get a job. That yeah. that 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 files under the who like if the dark knight goes over to the KBO, are you gonna be like, I'm staying up tonight because Harvey's pitching? Probably not, let's be honest. Who? So two years ago, uh, I think it was Monday, the the machine Albert Pool has made history. He joined an elite club. He became the ninth player in to join the six hundred home run club. He did it with a grand slam versus the Minnesota Twins and former and former angel Irvin Santana. Now, if we had a, if we have a season in 2020, Pujols will enter the season at 40 years old. He currently has two years left on his current deal with the Angels. He has 656 career home runs, so he's four away from Willie Mays, 40 away from A-Rod, and 44 away from 700. He would be the fourth member of the 700 home run club. Buying or selling Albert Pujols will get to 700 career home runs. Is it six fifty six, and yeah. he's got three years left on his deal? Two years, but that's including this year. So if they don't play, he has one year left, and he's already forty. Well, if they don't play, he'll still have two years left. Well, no, this counts as a year of service time. I thought so. That would that would technically mean he only has one year left on his deal. He's got two years. Yeah, and he's forty four home runs away. <sighs> Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm. I'm selling. Unfortunately, yeah. I'd love to see him get there. I mean, he's one of the greatest players we've ever seen. That's the thing about this. This. This pandemic. This pandemic is going to cost Verlander wins as a shot to get to a 300. It's going to cost Albert and home runs. Miguel Cabrera um, home runs. It's sad. It really is sad. Because right, these are all-time greats. I'm going to save the Luis Robert one for Monday because uh, this one, it's pretty good. You mean Robert? Yeah, Robert. Our guy, Luis Robert. All right, last one. One thing we've seen a lot lately is hot takes, or haven't seen a lot, a lot lately is hot takes. But we but we come from the industry where hot takes are always welcomed. And I saw one yesterday from ESPN and First Take, which is the home of hot takes with Stephen A. Smith. But it was a guy like Max Kellerman. Kellerman said in the, in the U.S. that nobody cares about the National Hockey League and it's not one of the four major sports. Don't tell that to fans from Boston, New York, Chicago, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, San Jose, and Nashville. I come from an area in Pittsburgh where the Penguins are almost as popular as the Steelers locally. And Max Kellerman should also know a lot about a sport that no one cares about when he talks about boxing because nobody cares about boxing anymore in the United States. Buying or selling, nobody cares about the NHL in the United States. Um, I am selling that. Do you know where I live? Yeah, San Jose. Okay, everybody that I know likes the NHL. Everybody. Everybody I know owns shark gear. I own sharks gear. They now have kids being drafted out of San Jose because of the kids playing at down at, uh, uh, what's it called? Shark Mice. Shark Mice. Shark Mice. Uh, Stanley's. I've been in that bar quite a few times to tailgate nice for San Jose State games. Um, no, I, I, I'm selling that. People love hockey. Detroit. Yeah, Detroit Boston, too. They're down on their time, but luck right now. But yeah. Washington. I mean, come on. At one point, when Gretzky was, at one point when Gretzky was playing for the LA Kings, you could say the Kings rivaled the Lakers. I was watching a Kings Kings and Maple Leafs game from uh, '93 the other day. Oh, dude, they're, they're, in Canada, the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
Yeah. Well, that's all we got time for today. But I, I figured Who the NHL thing. That no one cares about. That's just somebody that I, I don't know where he's from. I but, but to, to say that it's just like that's that's stupid. Well, and the thing too, and I'll quickly add is he made a joke about how he goes, yeah. Well, you know the old joke is twenty thousand. Every team has twenty thousand fans, and they're all season ticket holders. Uh, yeah, Max, uh, I I want to. I've gone to a, a live boxing match in Vegas. Cool experience, but I'd much rather go watch hockey. Uh, that's what I'm saying. So, uh, stick to boxing, Kellerman. Let us enjoy <laughs> hockey. <laughs> We're back on Monday from one to four. Who are we efforting? Hall of Famer Rod Carew is going to be on with us Monday at three thirty. What? Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to tell him I was ta- I when I was in Minnesota with the Raiders, and I went over with Brent Musburger to the Twins game. I was taking pictures with his statue. Well, now you can talk to the real thing. Ah, Rod Carew, one of the greatest hitters of all time, Monday. All right, everybody, have a great weekend. Be safe. Be safe. And we'll talk to you on Monday right here on A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 